Ducks, Dogs and Destruction. Welcome to another episode of Marvel vs. Marvel, the podcast where a movie fan re-watches the Marvel movies and quizzes a Marvel comic book fan all about what's going on to find out all the rich history and trivia of these characters that have been around for decades. I'm Rob Holden, a comedian, a writer, and an affirmed, confirmed, confirmed, that's not a word, confirmed, <laughs> affirmed and can and confirmed, yeah, you can affirm, uh, Marvel comic book, I don't want to say expert, guys, but that's out there, that's people already talking about that, people are tweeting about that, I've been reading Marvel comics for 30,000 years, and uh, built up quite a... Uh, <laughs> It's what I would call the kind of knowledge of comic books that prevents you from having the kind of social life you dream of. Um, that's what I've got under my belt and the other half of the podcast, the co-host, the man that makes it all possible by his lack of knowledge, is Mr. Will Preston. Will, how are we doing? Not bad. It's not the only time anyone's described me like that. Made it possible through lack of knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear you pull that out in an interview one day, in a job interview. Yeah. Listen, guys, the whole thing works because I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Now, <laughs> we need to check. I, you know what? I think we missed it off from the last one. I think we skipped over. You know, we we, 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 we forgot your catchphrase. We forgot mm. your your contribution at the job. We forgot to do the check, and we had some communication about it. So we do need to check right here, right now, Will. Yep. Lest this all be for naught, can you please... Just let us know. I have read a hell of a lot of comic books. How many Marvel comic books have you read in your lifetime? Um, is there a number uh, less than one? Well, yeah, there is a zero. Oh, good. Oh, it's zero. <laughs> I see what you were doing there. <laughs> Fantastic. It's an absolute zero from Will. Is it getting harder? Do you, are you having a, a, an urge to read as we go along because of these stories that we're talking about? What do you mean? Like how to? How, how is it getting it harder? harder? Is it getting harder to avoid reading Marvel comics because of all the stories we're talking about uh, and the things we're exploring? Well, I do. I I I I have actually got some e comics on my hard drive that I'd never read. Oh, and they're 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 oh. they're, they're, they're there. Waiting to be touched, waiting to be downloaded on, and I just haven't acted on it. And then it's like, well, I'm definitely not touching them now for a long time. I think, yeah, you need to, you need to remove the temptation, mate. You need to, you need to, I don't know, because I delete them, I suppose, because I've gone back on some of these, like when we were exploring um, Winter Soldier and talking about, um, well, the Winter Soldier saga and Bucky and, and all of that, I've gone back to reread some of those comics, the Brubaker run through that, so I can feel it's doing that to me. Um, so I'm just hoping we've got to make sure you don't fall off the the wagon. That's not my biggest fear, Will, that you fall <laughs> off the bloody wagon. It's amazing you say um, that as but, I drink uh, non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> That's like a subtext <laughs> in the background. Oh, he loves the wagon. We've been having such a fantastic, tremendous, wonderful time of it recently with our new little system where we, we continue to... Um, crack on through the MCU movies as we're in, in phase two at the moment and then we also take time every other episode to take a look outside the MCU and we've instigated the Patreon pick method which yep. means that if you're a subscriber 
to uh, to Marvel vs. Marvel over on Patreon, then you get to pick a movie or a TV show or a comic, uh, not a comic book, a, a computer game or some non-MCU product for us to cover in an episode, and that means we kind of we're kind of doing almost like a one-on, one-off system. And that might change. It might get even more loose or flexible. Who knows? We'll change it up as we go along. But that's been really fun. We got to tackle X-Men 2 in the last episode. And that's been our strongest performer. Oh, in yes. Terms, like, the response to that in the first week alone was just amazing. That's really shot up. Which it's still is great a popular to film. see because... It's still a popular yeah, film. Yeah, you know... I think we perhaps overlooked just how popular the X-Men franchise is, um, which is an important thing for us not to do. And we've got so many, many other opportunities for that to cover. And we've got an announcement later on. Another Patreon has made a pick, and that will be our next movie that we tackle, our next project even, that we tackle in the next episode. But what sits before us today, Will... Oh, yes. ...is... Guardians of the Galaxy. The first, what you might want to call, expansion chapter of, of the MCU. The first movie that is not connected to the Avengers. We had the run-up to the Avengers. Then we had the Avengers, and then we've had the sequels. Well, this is completely out of pocket to that. That is a, This is a different different beast now as we get into the, into the cosmos. So that's going to be really interesting. Um, and we've got some exciting, uh, we've got some great comments and reactions and letters that you guys have all written into us, all about that, which we're going to get to. Um, this is a movie that really struck a chord with people. I mean, it's not like a huge blockbuster, but people love it, right? Yeah, I mean, I the the only criticism I ever came across was for an old mate who's who could be a bit snobby with films. And he just went, ah, it's just Star Wars. And I was like, no. It, it absolutely isn't. And we're gonna have some we're gonna pick we're gonna have some bones to pick as we go. I've seen some of your notes. We're gonna have some discussions. Oh man, um, I, I am looking forward to this. I don't care. I don't care. I, bring it on, bring it on. No, I don't even care. I don't care. So before <laughs> before we kick off, what with the first thing and the most important thing, I think as we think the heart of this show is about trying to work out like how the how these marvel characters first you know in, infected not infected invaded your mind and your world and your consciousness and we've we've done some of that with with everything so far I, i'm, I'm going to be and this is one's going to be the interesting i think i know how it's going to go but we do need to take a little trip now folks before we go any further into the mind of the muggle Hello. So, Will, <laughs> as our fully... So I don't know why that tickled me so much. <laughs> it did. As our fully deputised muggle on the show, can you tell us, what did you, Will... And I know the answer, because who's going to know this? But oh, what God. did Will know about the Guardians of the Galaxy before the film came out? Where do I, where do I start with this one? I mean, I... Heard nothing about it. I do I knew nothing, and then I saw like, oh, here's the next MCU film. I'm like, what is this? A Saturday morning cartoon from the '80s that we forgot about. It's a bit. Oh, it's a bit. Really? Thunder. Is that what it felt like? They, okay, okay. I saw. I saw Drax. I saw Rocket Raccoon. I saw uh, Groot. And I saw the rest of them. And all I could think was, this yeah. looks like 
Thundercats crossed with Rocky Raccoon or whatever, crossed with the ca- the t- Captain Bucky O'Hare. It had all the elements of, hey, he- he's an animal, but he kicks ass with a big gun. I'm like, it looked cool, but I was really taken aback because it's it took a completely different tone from, from just that shot. And then uh, around, this was, this was back in uh, early 2014, uh, beginning of 2014, I was at a geek meetup in London uh, where I then met a then girlfriend. Uh, and, and everybody was talking about Guardians of the Galaxy and losing their shit, and I was going, oh, sorry, I've got to beat that out. <laughs> May, come on. <laughs> I've, got to, I've got to comment, so, uh, yeah. Beep that out. Uh, I, 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 was, I was just really uh, put aside going, what the hell? Like, wh- why, is it, why is everybody going mad about this? Why? And the, the more I discovered, and then the first trailer came along, and I was like, oh, I like music. I like popular music. This should be good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's such an, a, a, really, a really great point that, upon reflection... It does look like that kind of weird. Like you are right, that kind of um, Saturday morning cartoon where a bunch of people have sat around and going, "Well, we need a big yep. strong one, <laughs> and then we need a cuddly character, but he's got to be yep. like a '90s cuddly character, so he's got to have a gun, and then like a big tree fella, and then a sexy, scary woman, and then uh, and then a, <laughs> yeah. a normal Earth man that we can all associate with." That's such a. Um, and it's so interesting to think about that, knowing how the team actually came together in a very different way. Um, and Bucky O'Hare is an interesting. When we please remind me about Bucky O'Hare when we start talking about Rocket later on in the episode, because okay. there's not not a connection. So yeah, um, yeah. That's, well, that's that, that's that's the vibe it, I got. That's that's what I plucked out of thin air. You you remember those kind of cartoons where it's anthropomorphized animals doing kick-ass things? You remember those kind of cartoons? Yeah, of course. Um, uh, was it Battle Cats? No, well, there was there was, there was SWAT Cats. Sorry, SWAT, SWAT Cats. cats. Yes. Samurai Pizza Cats. Uh, Bucky O'Hare. Obviously, Teenage um, Mutant Ninja Turtles. I, sure, or the more the or to my mind, the more artistically satisfying version. Battle Toads, they were much better. <laughs> remember the Battle Toads? No one remembers the yeah. Battle Toads. They were I like remember a- the Battle Toads. I remember, <laughs> I remember them having the hardest game of all time, only from a video game yeah. capacity. And they, they had no. Yeah, I don't think they had any other. I don't think they had a spin-off of any of any kind. Like I don't think they had um, like a, a tie-in TV series or comic book or anything. They mm. might have had a comic book. Anyone can have a comic book when you've got a, you know another property coming out. Oh, of course, um, but. Uh, but yeah, so that's and it's not surprising to me that you had no knowledge of these characters, and we're gonna get into it. But they were they they talk to us about the. Uh, let's do the money first. Let's do the money first, and then we'll get to what what I want to talk about because it plays into the money a little bit. Oh, everything so, plays into money in this. Everything is money. Everything people. plays into the money. Uh, yeah, let's talk, talk about talk the, cheddar too as well. Talk cheddar. Talk cheddar. So the the big block of cheddar with this Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, 2014 came out with a budget. Let's see, it was 232.3 million gross. That's 195.9 million net. I don't know what that means. I, we put that in notes. I've seen that on, on a, and I don't know if you know what that is either. Do you? <laughs> um, uh, well, well, well. In, in general, what? I, 
what I would what I would think about that is that the the movie the movie cost one hundred ninety five point nine million to make, and then it's probably another hundred million or so uh, less actually um, to to do the marketing to do the. Uh... The posters, the flyers, the, the spend the money on the media. Yeah, it tends yeah. to take around that to to market something. So you you often talk about recouping what the production cost, um, and, and that's the first one. Studios like to say, "Well, we made our money back straight away." And you're like, "Well, yeah, <laughs> you spent another hundred million like selling it with adverts and trailers and the halftime Super Bowl advert and yep. the you know the posters, the flyers, the ad campaign, the media stuff." So yeah. Two three two would probably, to my mind, from that cover be everything. Yeah, everything, yeah. Uh, yeah, and from the two three two, the box office was seven hundred and seventy two point eight million. That is a success. That is a massive success. <clears throat> that really is. If two three two is the total number of everything it costs, including the, the the marketing, that's a big success. And here's what I wanted to. This is this is what I wanted to wait to talk about. Um, this is Marvel's first expansion movie, yeah. like we said, right? And it, it's kind of more than that. It, it's more than it's not a part of the Avengers. It wasn't part of the build to the Avengers, and it wasn't part of the Avengers. So every character, it, it, we had Captain America, Thor, Iron Man, Hulk, and then the Avengers, right? Mm. And then those are the only characters we've really done movies on. Yeah, Black Widow's in something, Hawkeye's in something, but they're not yep, the name yep, selling yep. it. And and of those properties, they have all, all of them had consistently popular comic book series since the 60s. They've yep. all had cartoons. Every one of them has had a cartoon series. Every one of them has had some other vehicle. Captain America had had black and white movie serials in, in the day, and he had a cartoon series. Hulk has had several cartoon series by the time we get to 2008 when the first movie comes out. Iron Man's had cartoon series. Hulk had that long-running CBS, not long-running particularly, but had that, that really popular CBS live-action Iconic. show. Iconic, I would go with. I would go with iconic. The theme sure, tune, yeah. the the way he transformed everything about that show. It's iconic for me. So the these are all markers and yep. indicators along the way that not just with the long running comic books, but outside of that, these characters have a generational fan base that spreads, you know, over the decades from. You know, mom to daughter, father to son, because of the way they 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 prove themselves in these different markets of entertainment. And then here comes the Guardians of the Galaxy. And believe me when I tell you, they've been around for like five minutes before this movie comes out. <laughs> yeah, it, it, there is no there is no basis, and we're going to get into some of this, but there is no basis to think that these characters are going to be popular. It yep. boggles the mind that they that they went in this way, and it shows to me the real forthright. We've got a letter coming up. I kind of want to spend a bit more time on that when we get to it, but it the 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 absolute looking ahead forward motion. Mm. That the MCU put in into 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 phase two, um, it's really impressive. It's really cool, man. Um, uh, yeah, I, 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 again, again, we got we got a great letter that compares it to something, and and that's going to be something for us to focus on. 
But that really is. What was that figure? What was that box office figure again, Will? Box office was 772.8 million. Oosh. Yeah, that yeah. that does the business, doesn't that's it? That's almost that a billion, man. That's, all, that's really close to a yeah, billion. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's... Yeah, it's some good stuff. Well, should, should we take a little look at the publication history of these of these characters? Um, yeah, let's do that. I'm up for it's, that. It's it's kind of it's kind of a it's kind of a wild story, right? <laughs> I'm ready. It's not a wild story. It's not a wild. I mean, okay, 1969. Um, Roy Thomas, who who was a towering figure in Marvel after mm. Lee and Kirby. Uh, Roy Thomas creates tons and tons of Marvel characters and, and, and writes the Avengers for, a, for. He's one of the longest running writers on a whole bunch of properties. Roy, Roy Thomas is, is, you know, he's a, he's a really important cornerstone of, of the Marvel of the Marvel universe. He has this idea for a team of super powered guerrilla soldiers in the future hmm. fighting communists that have invaded and taken over America, <laughs> and they did a movie. Did a movie Red Dawn, which kind of had similar vibes yeah. to it, but not without superpowered things. Um, he he passes this idea off to a, a writer called Arnold Drake. Now Arnold Drake created Doom Patrol, which is a a big TV show at yep. the moment that, that's that's getting loads of plaudits and critical acclaim. Um, Doom Patrol, nineteen sixty three ish, about a team of misfits with superpowers whose leader is in a wheelchair. He does this before the X-Men. In fact, they try and sue the X-Men to say, hey, you stole our idea. Uh, Arnold Drake, he also created Dead Man, who is a really cool Marvel uh, DC character. <clears throat> who's dead, man. He's dead. Uh, he, he, he leaves DC slash gets kicked out of DC for vocally trying to rally freelancers together to get better workers' rights, better pay, health insurance, that kind of thing. And DC, you know, kick him out for that. So he comes over to Marvel, and he, he writes some of the War stuff, some of the Nick Fury stuff, and, and he writes on the X-Men. Creates some important characters like Havoc, um, Cyclops' brother, and, and Polaris, Magneto's daughter. So, yeah, he's, he's getting it done at DC. And Arnold Drake takes this idea from Roy Thomas and works it with Stan Lee. And they keep the idea... Superpowered guerrilla soldiers in the future, but they drop the communism thing, and they set the whole thing in space. So, the guardians, <laughs> okay. the guardians cool. of the galaxy, are, are introduced in this um, anthology series called um, Marvel Superheroes, and it's about an astronaut in the very futuristic year of nineteen ninety. <laughs> because again, they're, 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 this yeah. is coming about in sixty nine. Mm. An astronaut called Vance Astro goes on a deep space mission to reach Alpha Centauri, the, the next solar system over. And he goes there in suspended animation, and kind of just like Buck Rogers, he spends thousands of years sleeping through space. And then he wakes up in the distant future to find that while he was asleep, moving very slowly, humans on Earth invented faster than light travel and got to Alpha Centauri ages ago and just forgot all about him Oof. oh sorry mate uh, oh we oh yeah we should we should have come and found you really shouldn't we oh, oh so he sacrificed his whole life for nothing um and, he, and he's also he finds he's trapped inside the um containment suit he was wearing in his in his in his shuttle 
and it, it's, he, he, it's believed that if he takes a containment suit off, his body will rapidly age, and he'll, you know, like the end of Raiders, and he'll just yeah. turn to a skeleton and, and liquefy there quickly. So he's on this 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 Alpha Centauri planet, and he befriends some alien natives, who, it's 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 kind of gross, guys. I'm, apologies, apologies for talking about it. They're basically like blue skin Native Americans. They're kept being referred to as the natives. They kind uh, of call them the noble, the noble savages, which is pretty gross. Um, and then this planet gets attacked by the Badoon. Okay, the, the Badoon exfulgence are, are this alien race of Marvel. They're, they're older than the Kree. They're older than the Skrulls. They are warlike conquerors by by nature. They they attack the Alpha Centauri um, system and they annihilate every human colony. And they start wiping out all the Centurions, the, the natives. And Vance and his Centurion friend, Yondo, escape Earth's solar system. Escape, sorry, to Earth's solar system. And, 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 and when they're there, they, they find other survivors of the Badoon's genocides. Um, there's a guy called Charlie 27, who is um, <laughs> a soldier from Jupiter, who's been genetically modified to cope with Jupiter's heavy gravity. So he's yeah, yeah. dense and thick and really strong. Take him outside of Jupiter's heavy gravity, and he's super strong and he's super tough and he's got a weird square head. Um, that sounds Martin about- X. So, can I just interrupt you? This sounds so much like a comic from 2000 AD. This sounds more like 2000 AD than Marvel. You know what I mean? It has that kind of almost dark edge to it. Rough edge, yeah. It, it's it's that it's it's the it's a rough edge of sci-fi that yeah. Marvel premiere, um, and later we we'll we'll, we'll 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 touch on this when we get to Star Lord and Rocket. There were some things that kind of encouraged that. Um, there's a, a chap called Martin X who is a descendant of human colonists on Pluto, who's kind of like a crystal life form, crystalline mm. humanoid. Um, Anyway, they, they they all join up together. Oh, and FYI, while he was asleep, somehow the astronaut Vance Astro developed telekinetic superpowers. Of course. Anyway, um, mm. they 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 begin um, they begin this um, guerrilla war against the Badoon, who are working their way towards conquering Earth. Um, have you got your messenger open, brother? Yeah, yeah, always. Always, he says, ladies and gentlemen. Proudly, he says, always. Um, I'm going to fire you off. Uh, what what they originally looked like um, in in the in, in 1969. It is not. It, not only is it not terribly awe inspiring, but the guy who's meant to be blue is for some reason red on the front cover, um, and I think that's even more of a horrible um, attempt at, at making him, you know, a stereotypical Native American. You know the 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 awful stereotype of red skin, and I think they then kind of changed it at some point and went, well, maybe blue is a less racist thing to do. Um, so let me just see if I can ping this over to you, um, because it's this will uh, be good. It's 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 odd to look at. I'm telling you that, um, especially when you compare to what you think now. Of as as being the guardians of the galaxy, okay. Because it's it's just a different yeah, it's just a different setup, man. It really is. 
<laughs> you're, you're having I'll a good time. One more time. Okay. Okay. Okay, we got it. We got it. We got it. Um. So yeah, that's what the Guardians originally looked like. 1979, the cover of Marvel Superheroes. Wow. Um, you see the, the big dude in the middle is Charlie Twenty Seven, and the guy who's all purple is Vance Astro. Um, <laughs> and yeah, you know they don't it, they they it, 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 it sells well, but they don't get their own series. They didn't appear again after this for five years. They get mothballed for five years. They then appear in guests in other comic books. They yeah. team up with time-traveling Marvel heroes who go through to the future. Um, they get their own series in 1976, and they get completely redesigned, every one of them, by our friend Dave Cockrum. Now, if you remember when we talked about the X-Men... We talked about the X-Men getting this complete costume, this complete redesign with all these brand new members like Wolverine and Colossus and Storm. That happens in the 70s, Nightcrawler and all them. And the dude that redesigns the X-Men um, and comes up with these amazing costumes and looks for them all is Dave Cockrum. And he's, he, he comes up with a, with a really kind of exciting superhero uh, d- design for, for all of them. Um, and really, from, from what Will's looking at mm. there, he, he is right. It is... This odd kind of almost 2000 AD style, very bland approach. Um, and then this image here, Will, Ooh, is the hello. redesign where Dave Cochran is creating superheroes, right? Yeah. Um, the new character called Starhawk joins the Guardians. He's really important. But they look like they look like you want to pick up that comic book, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's, yep. it's the, not quite 10 years apart, but there's a, there's a real dynamic energy to to the to the to that sort of redesign and um yeah steve gerber of howard the duck fame starts to <laughs> write the comic howard the duck which fame. we'll talk about a little bit later on <laughs> yeah steve steve gerber's the guy that created howard the duck yep. um and had a, a high profile court battle with disney yeah. um over howard the duck and the rights to all that and became a bit of a comic book legend uh, but he he starts writing the series and 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 makes them space travelers and kind of cosmic superheroes. It's very short lived. The count the comic gets cancelled and and the story is carried over and has to be like finished off in the main Avengers comic book series. There's something called the Korvac Saga, which is really cool, um, where the Guardians of the Galaxy travel from the future to team up with the Avengers and stop a cosmic being so powerfully threatens all reality. Oh, um, hello. And then, and then they just stop making appearances. Um, from the, from the, from that point on forward, it's not until 1990 that the success of Star Trek: The Next Generation gets Marvel's attention to do something in space, and they go, "Okay, well, let's relaunch then the Guardians of the Galaxy." And there's a superstar artist called Jim Valentino, who who is a big part of why it's a, a, a real success in 1990. And that runs for about five years, but then gets cancelled again. Oh, no. Thir- 13 years later, 13 years later, um, writers Dan Abnick and, and Andy Lanning are just in the midst of the second Annihilation War crossover, and they introduce a lot of these amazing characters from the past, 
give them brand new spins, brand new takes, and they then launch off the back of the Annihilation Wars this present day version of the Guardians of the Galaxy that takes place in the here and now in the regular Marvel Universe. So no longer is it in the future, it's right here and now. Completely different set of characters, and that's where we get the team that's in this this movie with Star-Lord, Gamora, Drax, Rocket, um, that's a group, that's where that comes from. Right, the right. Annihilation Wars, two huge cosmic events from 2006, 2008, that essentially relaunched Marvel's cosmic characters and kicked off Guardians of the Galaxy, thankfully in time for this movie to come out and um, and do some big business and have some fun with these characters. And we're going to chat a little bit later on about the Annihilation Wars uh, because it is something that we you you really should know about when it comes to these characters but we do not have the time without making this a <laughs> 6 hour podcast we have yeah. not got the time to do the Annihilation Wars and bring it up to this and then do this 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 episode as well so we'll chat about that in, in, in just a couple of ticks but um like we said, Will, this is a movie that has inspired a lot of people to get in touch with us and, and chat about their experiences seeing this film for the first time. And I think you've got some in front of you there. I have got some fantastic oh, some fantastic letters here. I got one from Russ Blacksmith wrote in to say, I waited for the DVD release on this one. I wasn't super amped for it like other comic book movies. That being said, I was wrong. The comedic timing between the characters was perfect. And even the character development of Rocket and Drax was great. That's how I felt. That's, um, yeah, that's really, that is, I mean, I think there's there's a lot of people, we, and that's what we said, that there there isn't this built-in knowledge of these characters that anyone is going to have. Unless you are a die-hard comic book reader, you're not going to have a knowledge of these characters. It's so mm. interesting how it took so many people kind of by surprise almost. Yeah, it, it, I, I think it's one of the most surprising Marvel films I've ever seen, uh, and not counting Infinity Wars. I, I, this was the one that yeah. surprised me the most, yeah, yeah. Captain America Winter Soldier came close, but this one totally took me by surprise. So we yeah, get, Cap, yeah, I mean, Winter Soldier's great in quality, but we've already had uh, two outings from Cap. Yeah. We kind of know to a certain extent what to expect. Exactly, exactly. We've also got another letter here from Tom King, who says, I had a vague knowledge of the characters beforehand. Was going to see it anyway, as it was the next MCU movie. Totally blew me away. I think it's perfect. It levelled up space operas, so I was surprised that Disney then dropped the ball on Star Wars when this set the bar so high. Totally spot on there. I mean, I don't know what the hell... I don't want to go, go into Star Wars uh, about this, but it's just... this. This. I'll talk about that See, in my comparison later. I, I, I do want to talk about Star Wars right now. Okay, in, in this in this In this brief moment. Because Tom makes a really great point. Yep. And I think this movie is one of the best examples of of Marvel Studios doing things so so right. Um because they're looking forward all the time. Yeah. So Marvel with Guardians of the Galaxy is expanding their properties, it's expanding their universe, expanding their mythology and their storytelling and their characters. 
They're looking, they're looking out and taking you with them. And when Disney got hold of Star Wars, all they did was go back. All they did was, what yep. about, um, what about seeing a movie in between two old movies? Or before the first movie, what about going and seeing the history of Han Solo? What about uh, another? What about so what? So that that's all. Um, and I'm not I'm not I'm not criticizing any of these films in terms of their quality, or or their enjoyment or their fan service. I think some of those things can be wonderful, but it's it's feeding on itself. Yeah, yeah. You you, you can't keep doing that. You have to move forward, you have to strike out, and you have to expand the universe if you want to be doing a movie every freaking year like Star Wars decided they wanted to do. Um, the MCU is able to achieve yeah. certain things by they start to this we start to you know looking at two movies a year, but if them if they've got this bank of characters and you want to move out and expand, expansion is the key. This is a big risk. And no matter how much money Avengers made, and how much bleed over we saw from from that billion dollar movie to make like Iron Man three a huge hit when it's a crap. Essentially, it's kind of a crap film, a crap story. You know, no matter how much of that bleed over you see, those are all still characters that have an existing fan base. Guardians does not, by any stretch of any imagination, have the kind of fan base that would warrant you investing this much money in. This film is a major gamble for Marvel. And and but but they do it they do it so right in terms of they believe in the characters, they believe in the people gonna make the film, and they believe in the story. It's the right way of doing, you know, a big tentpole franchise kind of blockbuster approach. It is. It's, I, I think, uh, adding on to what you said, it is nostalgia eating itself apart from the inside. And besides, I think, uh, not not to insult Star Wars fans, but, I mean, within, with totally good, good, good cause, they really hate most of the output. And I, and I, <laughs> they, they, like, most of the output is hated by the fans. The only thing that's liked is the original trilogy. And it's like, and uh, that sets off that sets off the signal of like, oh, we better make it more like them. Then, yeah. I'm I'm a wrestling fan. I, I'm I'm very used to being a fan that kind of hates most of what's out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and you know you get you get same things by you know the a, a, people who love alien movies. I'm like, what are you, what are you clinging to, guys? Like, yeah. two good movies. That's what you're clinging to. It's been a long time since we had a good one, guy. Maybe yeah. let it go. <laughs> yeah. um, and Predator. And Terminator. Sorry, does the uh, um, the last Terminator, the last new Terminator movie is really good. Oh, I've been. I, I need to put that on my list. Sorry. Stop yeah, the podcast, good, everybody. Man. Will has an adult task to do. <laughs> watch ter- Watch the new Wait, Terminator sorry. film. I shouldn't. Don't right. Don't go into it thinking it's really good. It, it. I was expecting it to be as crap as like Genesis, uh, and it was good and pleasant, and I enjoyed it, and it surprised me, and it was fun. I but it's still nostalgia eating itself. Hate yeah. it. Hated Genesis. I hated it so much, <laughs> but I won't go into it because it's not a Terminator film. It's not. It's not a Terminator film. There's no chase. <laughs> yeah. There's, it's not. So it's not a Terminator film. So anyway, yeah. Let's move on. Yeah. Move we've on. Got more, we've got some more letters. Okay, more letters. So. We have Ches Jennings, who wrote to say, possibly the best soundtrack of any film to date. Every song on it was amazing. And Dave Batista casting was genius. I mean, we could, we could go on about the, the soundtrack of this film for ages. Not too long, though, but I mean, bloody hell, what a soundtrack. What's your favourite from the soundtrack, then? 
I would have to say, well, I really loved the opening song. Actually, no, there were, there were several opening songs. I loved Red Bones, Come and Get Your Love, which is also used for the theme tune oh, for yeah. of Family. Great song. But I also loved that they used 10cc's I'm Not In Love right at the beginning. Because that is a, such yeah. a beautiful song. Beautiful song. It, it, it's odd because 10cc are a comedy band. There's no getting around that. But uh, it is a heartbreaking... 10cc... Is, no, they are... 10CC are a comedy band. I don't mean they're a joke. I mean, they write comedy songs. They do. A lot of their songs have a kind of a, kind of a jokey, satirical feel to them. But you can't doubt that they are very, very talented uh, musicians and songwriters. They, they've, I mean, Godley and Cream are a great duo. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Man, no, no, no. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, uh, I don't think you can... Yeah, it's just... It, it, uh, and what's interesting is how much... The soundtrack played into everyone that contacted us about this. And every time we talk about this, this with somebody, you you get everyone talks about the soundtrack. And they released the special edition uh, cassette tapes, which is such a smart <laughs> thing to do. Even if you don't make money from it, even if you take a loss, it's a smart thing to do. Are they coming back? Cassette um, C90 tapes. Are they coming back? Because they, they they must be at this point with vinyl coming back. Taylor. Taylor Swift's latest album or single or whatever has just got a prestige release on on cassette tape, yeah. Oh wow! So if anyone can do it, it's Tay Tay. I I heard someone else call her that. <laughs> I think it's I think it's an affectionate nickname. I'm not really sure. Um, yeah. Well, well, we uh, we don't just have letters out there from. Uh, I don't want to call them plebs, will, but. The non-subscribing community, whatever you want to call those people. Oh, we also uh, have the traitors. No, a saying. lot of communication. <laughs> no, we no. Listen, we love everyone, but the people no, we love no. the most I'm are kidding. our wonderful, wonderful patrons who um, subscribe and support us with cold hard cash each and every month. And it's the only reason we're still able to do this because there are there are costs involved in this constantly with the. There's the support and the hosting and the storage and all of that. So we can only do it because we've got some wonderful patrons. For a lot of you out there, these are the cats carrying the load for you. They're the ones making it possible. Keeping the lights on while you freeloaders uh, enjoy yourselves for free. Um, and uh, we've got some great communications from the, the patrons this week. And of course, we've got that patron pick to talk about. But before we get going, we just want to uh, mention that we are expanding what we're offering on Patreon. Okay? So if you head to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Marvel versus Marvel, that's where our website, that's where we're hosted, that's where we live. We've got blogs about virtually every episode that we've covered. We've got loads of images on there. Those things are all free. You can uh, sign up and support us for £3 a month, which is just supporting us. That's just tipping us. That's just saying we appreciate what you do. We love you guys. Keep it going. In exchange for that, we don't have to. We choose to. We're going to give you some bonus mini-episodes. There's a bunch of them out there. We we look at the different people that have been Captain America. We look at some of the most ridiculous mutant powers in the history of the X-Men. We take a look... And the really, this was a fun one. Will the Spider, the Clone Wars, uh, Spider Man? That was the, the Clone Saga that Spider Man did in the nineties. Yep. That was a fun, wild episode. Oh, so those yeah. are just some little bonus mini episodes that you get for your three pounds. 
<clears throat> we're introducing as of this week too late now when you hear this <laughs> unless you're already signed up early access an early access tier for five pounds a month you're going to be able to not you don't have to wait until monday to listen to the newest episode of Marvel vs. Marvel, you're going to be able to get that on Friday, which means you get to spend the weekend with me and Will. Um, and as well as that, as well as that uh, <laughs> early access, you'll also get access to the bonus mini episodes. And then there is the new tier, the ten pound tier, which gets you access to full length bonus episodes that are out every month yes we've just started it just kicked it off the first one the first full length episode exclusive to patreon is available right now and this is what we thought we'd do because we knew guardians with that backstory from what is called annihilation the annihilation wars that is where marvel rejigged their entire cosmic characters came up with this brand new approach to retooling them, changing and, and getting rid of some of the silliness from the 70s and creating some characters that would go on through these tumultuous two, three-year history and be ready for the Guardians of the Galaxy and join this new version of the team that we're going to talk about today. We have not got time. We cannot fit it in. It genuinely would be a six to eight-hour episode if we, if we covered the Annihilation Wars as well. So, right now, on Patreon... Annihilation Wars bonus full-length episode where I talk Will through how this all came about, how these characters got to where they were, the publication side of it, who masterminded it, who was the architect to, to get some of these fantastic characters out of the dustbin and put them back onto the page and get them ready for this movie. And uh, it, it informs every character we talk about as we go through this episode. So if you don't want to be left out, if you want to be kept in the loop... And find out all the real information about this episode and this movie of Guardians of the Galaxy. The real backstory of these characters. It's all there in the bonus episode. And every single month we'll be releasing a brand new bonus episode for you on there. And as well as that bonus episode, that tier gets you the early access on the Friday. And it gets you the mini, the mini bonus episodes as well. So what do you talk about that for value and money? And we've already had so many of our patrons convert straight away. As soon as we sent out that message to them saying this is what you're going to get. Boom, 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 boom. Top tier donators. And that's what we like to see. Lovely people. Got a message. Lovely, Absolutely. lovely Got a message here from our, patri- our patron Cody, who's in touch with us quite a lot. And he says, hey guys, for my Patreon pick, please, please, please do... The 90s X-Men cartoon series. Well, we've been talking about it for a while, Will. We have. A lot of people reference that, especially when we do the X-Men. And if a Patreon, if if a patron's picking it, we've got to do it. So that Patreon pick, Cody will definitely, definitely cover that sooner rather than later. And Cody goes on to say, I'm very, very excited for the Guardians of the Galaxy to be covered in the next episode. I didn't know anything about Guardians or the cosmic side of the Marvel Universe until this movie came out. I'm ready for all the trivia and the reading lists to learn more and also hopefully we get more cosmic adventures in the films because it seems to be going that way. I think he's right. Thanks guys, Hope. All is good with you guys and I cannot wait for the next episode. Thank you, Cody. He's been down for a while now. Cody oh, has talking right, over yeah. that that cheddar cheddar. 
And then Simon, he, he arrived to take a swipe at Will. I'm excited <laughs> about this. Simon says, at some point for his Patreon pick, please can you cover the Legion TV show? Which would, I mean, I'm, yeah, I, I've dipped my toe into Legion and it's dense and it's based on a convoluted character. Well, if you're picking it, we'll do it, brother. That's how it works. I'm and then he that. goes on to say, and any other ones will really doesn't want to cover. <laughs> <laughs> He's an old friend. So, I knew he'd say that. <laughs> what ones don't you want to cover, Will? I I don't think there's anything I don't want to cover. I uh, hell, I I probably even cover Ed the Duck at this point. Because I, I haven't seen it. I, oh, I, the duck's I, the duck's the duck's great fun, man. It's a it's a it's a it's weird, but it's fun. Okay, I want to cover the duck. So that's a big thank you to Simon and to Cody for getting in touch and for laying out their Patreon picks for for non MCU projects they want us to cover. Head over if you want to be part of the Elite Club, the special team, to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel and sign up today for all those wonderful bonuses that we've got on offer. And I think it's uh I think it's time, Will. We've taken care of business. Yeah. We paid some bills. I think it'll be time to approach the movie before us, which is Guardians of the Galaxy. So we'll take that hefty VHS tape, pop it into your slot. Oh dear, that sounded a little rude. And uh, <laughs> and if you would press that wonderful play button, get us started. I don't know what a VHS sounds like anymore. So let's press play. In 1988, this oh, is oh. Before we get there, do the oh. do the music. What's the music for the What's the music for Guardians? Oh God, we played this and he goes. I can't think. I can't remember now. I can't remember the. That's it. That's it. That's it. Something. Something like that. Something like that. It's a step. It's a step down from the Avengers one, big time. I think. It, it's it's a it's a blatant B side of the Avengers. I love it all the same. So yeah, yes. Back to the film, 1988, Missouri. A young boy named Peter Quill stands by his mother Meredith as she lays dying in a hospital bed. When Meredith finally passes on, a distraught Peter flees from the hospital before being abducted by an alien spaceship and departing into space. Now. What a start to a film! A, <laughs> huh. it's it's a very rough start. If it, it's harrowing, it's, it's a young kid uh, not not dealing with the fact his mum's dying of cancer. It felt a lot to me like those when I was growing up. There were films like Bambi and The Land Before mm. Time, where they oh. start with this huge this huge trauma of, of, of separation from the parent, and and the parent dies or something like that. And and then um, from from that you know it, it, so it starts with that that kind of heartbreaking stomach churning oh yep. and you feel such a wealth of sympathy for the character especially when you're younger and you're a kid you can't life without a parent is 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 kind of horrible to imagine well for anyone I suppose I I, I think I think you need this kind of thing even in a in a film where children are going to watch it. you need this kind of 
not quite a gut kick. Not like, say, the ending to David Lynch's Mulholland Drive, which I watched the other week, which just left me hollow. You need that kind of, ah... You need, you need, you need the struggle. You need the tragedy. So everything else is so well received, and obviously it picks up a bit because it's quite a joyful film. So this is a bit of a quick one. I mean, he gets abducted after running outside the hospital. It's like they wanted to grab things into one bit as quick as they could, like quickly, quickly do this bit, do this bit. So is this how Quill gets into the space in the comic books? Is it as heartbreaking as this? No, no, not at all, not at all, and and you have to. Uh, although you know what, that being said, mm. I guess I don't know anymore because this didn't happen anymore. Anyway, forget about that. Oh uh, no, retcon no, alert! Retcon alert! <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent now on yeah. on 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 because they change it so often. Oh, they changed it oh. recently. So in the seventies, he's a full grown adult who works for NASA when he goes into space. Yeah. Um, his, his mom is killed by aliens. His dad dies of a heart attack after suspecting that Quill isn't his own child. Um, and and then he's he, he's um, yeah his, his mom is murdered by aliens and Quill's the only witness, but no one believes him. And in, he's an orphan, and then he he's an ast- he goes to NASA to become an astronaut, but he is a dick. He is arrogant. <laughs> he's rude. He's belligerent. He treats people very badly. He's not a good guy at all. Um, and he, but he's a, he's a, he's, an, he's an adult when it all when it all happens when it all goes off. Sidebar: For some reason, he has a pet owl called Al. No owl idea why. Owl. owl the owl. Yeah, it just makes it makes no sense. Why? You know, maybe maybe he's best friends with Falcon and Falcon's pet Falcon. What was Fal- what was Falcon's other name again when he turned bad? Snapper, <laughs> snapper. <laughs> so I just want to have a yeah. call back there. I needed my fix. So that's a pretty. Oh, so that that's that's not much of a background in the comics. I'm glad they did this in the film because it's a, yeah, it's a, yeah. It, it's... No matter how rushed it feels or like oh, very sudden, very very compact, it still hits all the right beats in a way. Yeah, emotionally. Yeah, emotionally hits the right beat. Okay. But so, twenty-six years later, Quill is now an adult and a member of the Ravagers, led by Yondu. Is it Yondu Udonta? I've never, ever, ever heard or said the surname Yondu. Don. I'm going to call him Yondu for Yondu. He's hired by the Broker to recover an orb from the planet Morag. <laughs> Why is there a planet? My. My childhood best friend's mom was called Morag. Yeah, I was about to say, why would you have a planet that sounds like an old Scottish lady? <laughs> because Americans have like no concept of Scotland at all, <laughs> or, or, or English names or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Morag, planet Morag, just next to the planet Auntie Carol, uh, and round the corner <laughs> from the uh, the asteroid Janine. Yeah, all contained within the Uncle Trevor Nebula. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Sorry. I was trying to think. What's the most old name I can think of? Trevor. Good. Bingo. So uh, he's hired by the broker to. Yeah, that's where, that's where they're all going. They're all going bingo. You're right. Yeah. They all go to bingo. They all go to bingo <laughs> to recover an orb from the planet Morag, only to be intercepted by Korath the Pursuer. Although Quill escapes with the artifact, Yondu discovers he has stolen the Ravager's prize and issues a bounty. 
for his capture. So, obviously, uh, the beginning film, the tone of the film at the start, very sad, very tragic. And then we get this lovely, almost pretty much Disney-esque, him doing karaoke on his own to a Walkman while playing Redbone's Come and Get Your Love. And I thought this set up the film perfectly. He's having his venture in space, listening to popular music on a very nostalgic Walkman. That's the entire film in, in, its, in, its, in its essence. And it was just such a perfect bit. Also, Chris Pratt being cast. How did you feel about that? Well, um, not great. Oh. Not great. Uh, because Chris Pat is a very, very silly person who does very, very silly characters, right? Yeah, yeah, agreed. And I'm sure it, may, it might make sense to you, but as a comic book reader, mm. that's not Peter Quill. Yeah. Peter Quill is not a very silly person. He's not a bumbling idiot. He's not a buffoon. He's not silly. He's sarcastic, and he is funny in a pessimistic way. So... Yeah, no. I mean, it it doesn't really affect me what when I'm watching the movie. But when the announcement's made, you go, "I don't know if this guy can," because you're expecting and kind of wanting. Because I'm gonna put, put my cards on the table. Yeah. The the Guardians of the Galaxy series this film is based on is in my top eight series runs of all time. It is uh, a, a truly remarkable series and something that I really really enjoy and love and and Peter Quill as a character is a huge part of that so um it, you, you kind of have a desire for it to be close to the to the to the to the source material but mm. as soon as a movie starts that kind of goes out the window and you start enjoying yourself so yeah. no to, to begin with and I'm a big fan of Parks and Rec yeah, and same, I, same. you know I, I know he's got I know he's got comedy chops but it, to begin with, I was thinking this feels like Marvel have gone the cheap route again, <laughs> as they are wont to do. Uh, so yeah, I wasn't sure about it. Ah, uh, I, I I never really heard of him before, so I got onto that quick, and then I found out he was also in the Lego Movie, which was also a lot of fun. So yeah, so uh, this guy is the main henchman of this film, Korath. Uh, is he is he anyone we should be aware of? Because I don't think I've seen him in anything else. No, not not really. I mean, he's a he's a he was created in the early nineties as part of a war between the Kree and the Shi'ar. Mm. Uh, the Shi'ar are a race mainly from the X Men comics, um, but they're all up, they're all up, they're all neighbors up there. Um, and this in the in the nineties uh, during during you know the Gulf Wars, Operation Desert Storm, Marvel decided to call this crossover. Operation Galactic Storm, <laughs> uh, which was a very odd thing to do. Yeah. Um, Korath is a cyber geneticist, and he is head of the Pursuer Project, which was set up in the in the in the, in the Krishaya War to develop cybernetic ad- advancements and enhancements for for Kree militia to to make their soldiers tougher, stronger, faster, quicker, better. He gave himself and other soldiers a lot of advanced abilities, you know, to, to to fight better. And he also gave himself the ability to psionically locate people by their brain patterns. So once he knows what your brain pattern is, he can use like a low level telepathy to trace you across the galaxy. 
um, which means that the pursuer is pretty pretty good um, little moniker for him. So he's um, basically he, Charles Xavier, but he actually goes out and punches you in the face. Well, he can't read minds or communicate okay. telepathically. Yeah, but I'm thinking he cerebro just, here. He basically, it's a, it's a, it's like a telepathic sniffer dog. Like he can find you. Yeah, but he can't like do anything else. Um, he, he fought <laughs> with he fought alongside Ronan in the first Annihilation War. And then the second Annihilation War, he's absorbed by this kind of uh, alien AI Borg-like race called the Phalanx, and and then he's he's killed off for failing a mission. He's kind of one of Ronan's brothers in arms, really. Okay, as he, as he is here, as he is, yeah. So it's fairly true to the comic, but they have they just used him as a henchman rather than this f- fine array of a background and but- powers. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, it's it's on, it's, it's on a par. I mean, I I henchmen tend to get a bit more backstory and a bit more kind of history in in comic books because there's a bit more room and space. Yeah. Because they'll appear over several different appearances and they'll have a fact file or they'll do something. It's a bit harder in, in movies for a henchman to have you know a nice bit of backstory going on. But no, I, I think he's kind of on par. Really, he was not. He's not. A, he's not like a Ronan level villain um so yeah it's it's kind of it's kind of fine the interesting thing is i don't think there had been any black kree in the comic books ever oh yeah in the comic books the kree the kree are either kind of uh you know pink white people or they're blue skinned those are the two skin tones yeah in in the comic books for kree so it was uh interesting and we see a lot more of that in um captain marvel as well we see that there are no blue Cree whatsoever, uh, so the Cree just are all kind of human skin tones. Yeah, yeah. I, I, wasn't there a, a, a pinkish, purpley one in the film? There are a few pinky, purpley ones. The, were they the Cree? There might the be. I. It depends what we're talking about. Yeah, I think the thing is, it's, it's very much like Star Wars in some cases because you kind of get lost with the different races, the different planets, and the different cultures. So, you know that nice planet they're on? Is it Xander? The planet Xander. Xandar, that's not Cree, no. In this no. movie, there's the only Cree in this movie are Ronan's people, and there's not many of them. Right, they're the sorry. Forget everything yeah. I was talking about. I uh, that, that's that's how hard it Zan, is to keep Zan, up here. Yeah, this is yeah, that's yeah. why. That's why in Marvel comics, you 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 draw them to be all uh, very standoutish. So the Cree are usually all blue, mm. and then the Skrulls kind of a green reptilian, and then. Zandarians are Earth people, but well, we'll get to them in a bit. They wear a special helmet. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so back to the movie. Uh, meanwhile, Ronan is revealed to be searching for the orb as part of a deal with Thanos in exchange for the annihilation of Zandar to aid in the hunt. Thanos has lent Ronan, Gamora, and Nebula. By tracking the Ravagers, brokers, and past dealings, Ronan learns of Yondu's deal with the broker and sends Gamora to Xandar to intercept Quill. So, Thanos working with other villains like this. Do we see that in the comic book? Because he's pretty powerful on his own. His power levels, you know, it's it's interesting. It's the interesting thing of characters have been along for, for decades and how they're presented. In the comic, in the movies, he, he's consistent in his appearances, right? Mm. 
but in, in the comic books he goes up and down um, <laughs> to begin with he's we'll get to that when we talk about Drax he's not quite the same to begin with um, <laughs> in 1994 he has his own team of Thanos Avengers <laughs> Okay. He's got his own super team. In '94, he's got his own team of supervillains. There was a there was a a comic book called The Secret Defenders, which was I loved this when I was a kid. Um, so Doctor Strange was part of a team called the Defenders, and then they they broke up. And then in the '90s, Doctor Strange had a team called the Secret Defenders. It was a super <laughs> team, but none of the people on the team knew they were on a team, right? So oh, Doctor Strange wow. would use his magic powers to manipulate events or to drop on drop in on them and go attention hero i am doctor <laughs> strange you are needed for a mission and then he just so every like two issues or three issues or whatever the the lineup of the secret defenders would completely change hmm. and it would be a whole different bunch of four or five new heroes that don't work together it was loads of fun because you get like a different hey it's Ghost Rider and Hawkeye and Aquaman. Hey, what a team. Oh, not <laughs> Aquaman. Don't, say don't, send me, don't send me letters. I know it's not Aquaman. I'm doing it for a, Sometimes I go into comedy mode. So <laughs> uh, they, 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 for a little brief period of time, there's a story arc where they turned the comic book over to Thanos and he played the Doctor Strange role. And he was like, he became the star of the series. And he was like, right, got to put a crew together, got a heist to do. <laughs> and they're all like, "You son of a bitch, I'm in." <laughs> so uh, Thanos, Thanos led his own like Ocean's Eleven Avengers heist team, oh, and he had uh, the no. Super Scroll, Nitro, uh, Rhino, and the Titanium Man, and they were all like, "Tell us what to do, boss." Let's. And he 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 sent them to rob a monastery in space, a space so, monastery. Yeah. I didn't know space those monastery. In space, no one can oh, hear we, you take a vow of silence. <laughs> we, we got a, we got a church, we got a whole space church to talk about later on, mate. Get ready. Hey, hey, kids! Think space church is lame? Church. Go to space church. It's cool. <laughs> it's exactly what it is. They worship. They worship basically space Bowie. Space. We'll get to it. Oh man, this is too good. This is too good. Uh, also, I think I remember seeing some, someone shared on an on a forum or something. Uh, does Thanos have his own helicopter? No, no, I don't know what that. I don't know. It's a meme, and I yeah. don't know if it's based in an, an, a silly old comic thing. I don't. I'm not entirely sure. I don't. I don't. I don't think even back. Well, we'll talk about the silliness from the day, but I don't think even then there was a um, there was a helicopter. No, that's a shame because I actually no, not a shame because part of it angered me because it's just like, why would Thanos have a helicopter? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, it's become a weird meme now, hasn't it? Yeah. Oh well, I like the meme. You know me and memes. Meanwhile, on Xander, Quill attempts to meme while, sell- huh? Oh, huh? sorry. Meme while. Meme. Oh, I thought. Okay. Meanwhile, <laughs> I was actually going to go. Oh, I thought you wanted to do, do the voice. Meanwhile, on Xander. <laughs> oh yeah. No. Sure. Yeah. Please do that. I, yeah. I, if, if there's a meanwhile, I'll do that. Uh, Quill attempts to sell the orb to the broker. But upon learning that Korath was working for Ronan, the broker refuses to become involved with the orb and turns Quill away. Suddenly, Quill is ambushed by Gamora, who takes the orb and flees into the streets. A fight ensues, drawing in two bounty hunters, Rocket Raccoon and Groot, who both seek to collect Udonta's bounty. 
The Nova Corps, Xander's prime military force, arrive and arrest the group, imprisoning them, imprisoning them in the kiln. So, I, 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 found, I found there was a quite a funny link here, because uh, Zoe Saldana, uh, playing Gamora, fantastic, she's brilliant. Uh, the only other film I saw her in was the J.E.J. Uh, J. Abrams remake of Star Trek, uh, where, she, where she, I think she chides or stops or interrupts uh, Captain Kirk sleeping with a green woman, because you've got to do that. If it's Star Trek, and then, and then uh, a few films later, she has become a green woman. <laughs> I just thought that was a weird, really, really funny link. There's Kirk lurking in the background, going, "Oh yes, I must stay away from this franchise." Sorry, I'm doing a very terrible William Shatner impression. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I'm glad you are nodding in agreement. That was deserved. Yeah, I mean, I want to say it, brother, but yeah, it was pretty bad. It's pretty, I can usually do better than that, but won't try it here. You'll have to catch me on my other uh, podcast, Shatner versus Shatner. Anyway, this is <laughs> <so>. <laughs> that's great. Well, you just you keep comparing Shatner things. Oh, you could do TJ Hooker, the greatest TV series of all time. Officer TJ oh, Hooker, that'd be I, great. I never watched, that and you could I cover could. all. Of, yeah. You could cover all of the Tech War. <laughs> Tech War series. The only thing I know about Tech War is it was, oh, he was reading on Father Ted William Shatner's Tech Wars. <laughs> Although, uh, sorry it's, to go on a tangent, it's, I do it's a, have all series of um, his other show he did. Uh, oh, what was it? What was it? What was the show where he's? Don't know. You're the one with all the series. Oh, Boston Legal. Boston, Boston Legal. I've got all of that on DVD because my mum got me into it. Denny Crane, love it. Anyway, is it? It's very silly and funny, isn't it? Boston Legal. Boston Legal's fantastic, and James Spade is also in it. I mean, that's not really selling it, I'll be honest with you. He was, man. Oh, I, James I Spader. Yeah, 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 no, 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 yes, no, James Spader is good. I get him confused. Anyway, we have, this is off topic. This is Let's so off topic to right the... now. We, everyone's going, hmm, I'm going to pay three quid now instead of a tenner. <laughs> I get to right, I get, I get James Spader mixed up with David Spade. <laughs> da- I know, David and Spade. David Spade's not someone that you sell something on. Yeah. Yeah, I he's, always he's... do that. Someone will say to me, oh, it's that thing with David Spade in, and I'll think of James Spader and go, ooh, and then get disappointed, yeah. and vice versa, all the time. You're not the only one. Uh, also, uh, getting back onto the film, this is where it starts to feel like a Star Wars film, because you've got this kind of planet that is like, oh, this is the nice planet, or this is the planet where they have all the shops. It's like, because they always have that in these kind of films, like, oh, this is the ice planet, the desert planet, the chocolate planet, and it's like, oh, this is the, this is the, this is the, the civilization planet, and they're all uh, just, just wandering around, and it feels like a Star Wars film. Have you seen Star Wars? I have. Like, Based on this conversation... I'm, this feels like a Star Wars film because this is the planet that's got all the shops. What are you talking about? What space shopping film have you seen? At what hey. stage does Luke Skywalker go down the bloody shops, man? What are you on about? He 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 he, he bought two droids off the merchants, <laughs> and they went to Mos Eisley. So you're, you're so the, you're thinking like the, the, the almost kind of Tolkien-esque mythological connotations of the ice planet of Hoth and the desert planet of Tatooine, and you go, yeah, and the shopping center planet—that's the natural next one. The shopping center planet, otherwise known as Planet Earth. <laughs> See, there's several occasions. Well, tell you this: there's another occasion where you say this really feels like a Star Wars movie, and I'm like, what are you? I don't. I'm not I... convinced you've seen them. I really uh, not. Uh, by all means, if you're listening to this, please email after to agree or disagree with me because I, I, I fancy the on uh, the off the off record argument. 
I, I say it feels like a Star Wars film, but I'll get to my next point. There is some great casting here. Uh, just this little bit, we've oh. got Glenn Close, John C. Riley, and one of my favourite people, Peter Serafinowicz, one of the funniest uh, voice voice people I know. Very, I mean... Oh, you know him? Oh, I don't wow. know him personally. No, 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 sorry. I, oh, I, I, I was about... confused because you said you know him. Oh, yeah. I made oh, sorry, it I was, like... I'm always confused by that. When someone says they know someone, I assume that means they, they know him. Oh, uh, so, so sorry. I, I don't, but I do know uh, <laughs> Kevin Eldon's sister. Because <laughs> she lived in Ooh, Cos. really? Yeah, I know Kevin Eldon's okay, sister. That's, that's big. Yeah, yeah. That's big. Uh, okay, I think it was great because I love that Peter Serafina, which is getting more into Hollywood films now because I think he's a great talent, especially for his voices. I mean, South Park plucked him up for a few things, but he, he's, a, he's great. I, I love him. And it was just great to see. If this. you if you if you if you're out there uh, in, in America land uh, or or even the land of Britain and you haven't seen the Peter Serenefovich show, it's oh. a great, it's a really underrated, overlooked sketch comedy show. Really funny, great sketches in there, all by uh, all by Darth Maul, and um, it's it's just really worth checking out. They only did uh, it was only one series, so there's probably only six episodes of it. Yeah, or the two. Anyway, yeah, did, it's worth checking yeah. out though. It's great. He does and great you, can, you can find those clips on YouTube and stuff. Yeah, you can find yeah. those clips online. Just, just just search them out. Anyway, back to the uh, back to the podcast. Back to the film. Rob, what can you tell us about the Nova Corps uh, and these characters we see here? Um, they're pretty much Nova Corps. You know, they are very much Marvel's Green Lanterns. Yeah, there's no go. getting away from that. Really, yeah. created in the 1970s, um, Richard Ryder. You've got the double R's there. Double is, R's, um, yep. An, an Earth teen uh, recruited by a dying alien to join a cosmic army slash police force. Um, and uh, and he does, and that's the Nova Corps. And he, he, you know, he travels to Xandar, which is where they're based. And each member of, of the Nova Corps is given proper, fully-fledged superpowers derived from... The, the a cosmic energy called the Nova Force, um, and and they're all directed by this intergalactic AI called the 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 Xandar World Mind, mm. um, and completely different to what we see here. Novas don't need ships or guns. Each Nova can fly through space at tremendous speed, um, can create uh, wormholes, can, can discharge powerful energy. Each member is a is a powerful superhero in and of themselves, and you would tend to only really need one per kind of you know space sector. You don't need space sector. You know that yeah. you don't need. It's not like this where it's just a bunch of guys in in spaceships. Um, John C. Riley's character is uh, Roman Day, and he's the Nova that recruits Richard Ryder in the original comic book. Um, Serenefovich is. Uh, Garthen Saal, who once was the last Nova left knocking around and accidentally absorbed the entire power of the Nova Force and went mad and became a, a mad problem called Supernova. <laughs> As in, he's going Supernova! And Glenn Close is um, Arani Rail. Um, her character is a, well, in the comic books, that's a right. Rigelian, completely different race of people to the Zandarians, mm. and she joins the Nova Corps after the annihilation. During the annihilation war, Zandar gets completely destroyed, and um, and they have to rebuild it. and And she becomes 
uh, Nova Prime, which she, which she is here, which is kind of the the general of the police force of the army, the person in charge, person running the planet. Okay, so the 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 de facto leader, by the sound of it. I mean, yeah, Nova Nova his original intention was created to be. It's in the seventies, but it's created to be like a love letter to Stanley's and Steve Ditko's Spider Man series. Really, it was. Yeah, you know, just the fact that you get the double alliteration of Richard Ryder instead of Peter Parker and all that, it's to take a teenager and to have a teenager thrust into this strange world with superpowers and to not be ready and to live locally. To begin with, even though he goes off and does space eventually, which is the most popular part of Nova, in the early stories, he's just like knocking around Manhattan with with this cosmic (laughs) power. And it's a bit... But it's all, you know, his, his family are involved and he's got a girlfriend and he's dead to dead. It's a soap opera. So it was originally intended as this small little love letter to, to Spider-Man. But for some reason they gave him these vast cosmic connections and kind of did Green Lanterns. And, and then when they finally pushed the button on sending him out into space, it, it grew in popularity. Nice. Okay, I can definitely see that link there. So back to the film on The Kiln. The other prisoners, aware of Gamora's relationship with Thanos and Ronan, threaten her life. Drax the Destroyer even attempts to kill Gamora for the murder of his wife and daughter by Ronan. But Quill convinces him that he can get to Ronan through Gamora, who reveals that she intended to betray Ronan and keep the orb, having grown weary of Ronan's methodology, deeming him insane and a risk to galactic stability. Learning that Gamora has a buyer who is willing to pay a hefty fee for the artifact, Rocket, Quill, and Groot, and Gamora work together to escape the kiln. So, the kiln is essentially a space prison in the comic book. I can't imagine them changing that much, isn't it? Uh, y- yeah, I mean, it kind of serves two functions. It's a, it's a a huge ancient structure located next to this galactic barrier called the Crunch. The Crunch <laughs> seems to be... <laughs> what are you laughing at? Ooh, the Crunch. The Crunch. It, 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 it sounds like chocolate to me. It, so, I, it sounds like chocolate. It sounds like... Remember South Park? Well, we do, that's because we do have a... Mintberry Crunch. We do have a Crunch. We have, there, is, there is a Crunch bar, which is yeah. a tremendous chocolate bar. Tremendous Head down to stores for now and get yourselves a Crunch. Marvel versus Marvel. Brought you... <laughs> By crunch. Yeah, I was going to say, um, use the code Marvel versus Marvel. Well, the, the 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 crunch when we're talking when we're talking uh, galaxies is the opposite of the bang, isn't it? the The universe starts with the big bang, and the universe will end with the big crunch. Mm. That's where everything will go in the end. So that's what it's alluding to. Is it, it's 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 the barrier between. Well, it's not a hundred percent written. It's a little vague, but it appears to be a barrier between our, not our, their positive matter existence and an antimatter dimension. Now, you might be asking yourselves, mm. is that the negative zone from the Fantastic Four, guys? Of course you're asking yourselves <laughs> that. The answer is, I'm afraid, I don't know. I had a bit of a look around. There's not much written on it. I'm going to say no. But anyway, so it's this massive um, structural barrier. It's been created by ancient, ancient races. And it, it, it seems to bleed off energy from the crunch mm. and disperse it amongst all the other planets kind of in the area. So it's like their own source of energy, which is really cool. But yeah, the, the kiln is 
so huge and so inescapable it's been used since the dawn of time to imprison elder gods inside the kiln there are these mad elder gods from just after the big bang that threatened everything in the new world and were and were locked up inside this this ancient incredible unforgiving unbreachable prison it's one of the most deadly places in the galaxy um, very different to the prison we see here, which is a regular prison, pretty much. Um, Star-Lord was imprisoned in, in the kiln, in the comic books, right before the Annihilation War. And inside the kiln, there were these mad Elder Gods. And the Annihilation Wave ripped through the galaxy and destroyed the prison. And it set free some of the most dangerous and deranged beings in the galaxy. Um Learn more about that in the bonus episode. Yes, good plugging there. Very good plug. Okay, so let's talk about Drax. Is he much? Is he? Is he any different from in the comics? I mean, great. Played by Dave Bautista here, he's really good, and there is some humorous element to him. But is he this sort of straightforward and very? uh, Let me tell you a story. Tell me a story about. uh, Let me tell you a story (laughs) about. A man called Arthur. Yeah. Oh, yes. A man called Arthur. He was a professional saxophone player in a band. And one night, Arthur and his daughter Heather are driving along when they thought they saw what looked to be a spaceship. And they were right. It, it, it was a spaceship. It was definitely a spaceship. And the bloke driving the spaceship was Thanos. Oh, that cheeky. And Thanos man. looked out of his window and went, Oh, blimey, I don't want anyone to have seen my spaceship. <laughs> I best go and blow them up. So he blew them up. He blew the car up, and the people inside died. But then Thanos's powerful father, uh, mentor of the Eternals, captured Arthur the saxophone player's spirit and thought to himself, <laughs> "This, this, this is a good plan. I've got a really great plan here. From this saxophone player, I shall build the ultimate warrior." <laughs> And so he takes the saxophone player's spirit and he shoves it inside a a powerful green fighting body. Yeah. Puts it puts a little little purple cape on him and gives him a, a belt buckle with it with a skull and says, <laughs> For you now are Drax the Destroyer. And I'm just gonna ping you right now a picture of the original Drax. That's the dude on the left-hand side of the image. That's what he originally looked like. Tiny head, giant collar, um, championship wrestling belt. Oh, purple and green. God, that is terrible. Space Hulk, right? He's Space Hulk. Space Hulk, yeah. There's no getting away from it. Uh, he was big and green and dumb, and he's got a purple cape, and he's basically Space Hulk. And he fought Thanos for the Infinity Gauntlet and the Infinity Gauntlet saga and nobody cared about him. The idea behind Drax was that Drax's father, not Drax's father, Thanos' father, Mentor, was like, I shall create a creature whose only reason for existing is to hunt and kill Thanos. So if I use the spirit of a man who was murdered by Thanos and whose daughter was murdered by Thanos, Mm. then, aha, that shall work. Um, And yeah, so he was created... Uh, in the 70s and then no one really cared about me and he was very weird and dumb in the 90s 
and he's part of he's part of the the Infinity Gauntlet saga, definitely. But he's not exactly a, a, a character that people really remember or fans love. And then along came uh, Annihilation, this this sweeping event, and Keith Giffen, the writer who who was writing a huge amount of of Annihilation starts the whole thing off by retooling Drax to modernise him and to turn him into a character that readers should care about. Yeah. And and so after... And they don't retcon anything, but he goes through these changes to, to, to what he looks like, what he thinks like, how he, everything about him. And w- what they do is they have Drax then emerge as a new character that that is essentially... It's exactly what he needs to be to kill Thanos. Drax yeah. becomes the ult- the ultimate hunter, the ultimate warrior. <laughs> Insane insanely driven. Oh, I just did ultimate warrior there by mistake, didn't I? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. That was not intentional. Insanely deadly one-man army, cunning and driven, and he's like, yeah, he's like a black ops, you know, SWAT team all on his own. Uh, and, and they changed the way his look, his, his the colouring, the design of the character, everything about him gets changed in, in the in the very beginning of Annihilation, and they create a very compelling character um, who is you know intrinsically tied to Thanos and becomes one of the most exciting and interesting parts of the Guardians. Um, so, yeah, movie th- movie Drax bears no resemblance to either. <laughs> It's weird. It's really weird. <laughs> yeah. um, I kept waiting for Drax in the movies to gain some extra powers and become like the total badass Drax in the comics. Yeah, yeah. And there's a moment we'll get to later on where I was like, I saw it coming. I was like, ha ha ha, this is it. This is the moment. He's about to get his superpowers. And 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 no, <laughs> it doesn't happen. He's just you know he's like a biker. He's just he's a he's a bit tough, but not really tough. Just a bit tough. Yeah, yeah. that's it. I've... So it's odd. It's weird. I'm glad he's not like original Drax. Yeah. I'm sad he's not like modern Guardians Drax. But it's what can you do? I yeah. What can what can you do? It just sound, it, it just sounds really boring. <laughs> original but there we go anyway we cut to thanos learning of gamora's betrayal a furious ronan meets with thanos in person and angrily berates him for not taking gamora's betrayal seriously when the other the other sorry when the other scolds ronan for disrespecting the warlord ronan angrily stop 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 this is the other again do you remember him from avengers yeah which one we had this debate back then He's just, a, he's just not, right. He's not, he's not even. He's just a tall, weird-looking dude, right? There's nothing anywhere that says his name is the other, except these plot synopsises that we keep seeing. No one, he's not got a name. I don't understand where this the other comes from. I think it happens. There's so much of that. There is the people that write these plot synopsises. Synopsises, not a word. Synopsis. I think they're uber <laughs> synopsis. They're utter, utter geeks. I don't know where they get the information from. But they write it as if we all know it. There's something later on, right, where Drax uses a massive weapon. And in the synopsis, it says, 
the Hadron Demolition Maker. And I was like, or whatever. And I was like, whoa, that sounds like something I should know about. And I reread and reread and I went, no, no, it's not mentioned. It's not a thing. You just, I'm, I'm sure one of you made it up or you found a reference to it somewhere and decided everyone knows what this is. This other thing really bugs me. He's an unnamed, like, henchman dude. He, the uh, other sounds like he's really important. He's not. He's nobody. If I, I regret saying the name other now. Uh, I'll just <laughs> could call him. Does some it not bug bo- you when that? Ha- does, does it not bug you? That really because it threw you a little bit, it, it, and it threw you for a reason. It, it threw you because you don't recognise the name because it's not a name. If it was a name, they'd say it in the movie. Yeah, but I was just going to carry on reading. <laughs> well, still, I know I have the advantage want, of not knowing I want, anything. I want to come up with some. I want to come up with some universal laws. For regulating the plot synopsis industry on fan websites. It's ludicrous. Oh, God. Oh, God. Anyway, I'll try try and start this again. When the other bloke scolds Ronan for disrespecting the warlord, (laughs) Ronan angrily breaks the other bloke's neck, killing him and forcing Thanos to speak to Ronan directly. Undaunted by Ronan's complaints, Thanos waves Ronan away, and while Gamora's betrayal is an issue, Thanos entrusts both Ronan and Nebula with fixing that problem. As Ronan departs, Thanos grimly warns him that if he returns empty-handed again, he will bathe the Starways in his blood. Now, this is the first time I was ever truly aware of Thanos. I, when, when, he's, when his name popped up in things, I was like, well, that's a Greek bloke, isn't it? That's definitely. I actually have a Greek what do you mean? mate. I actually have a Greek mate called Thanos. It's a Greek name. No, yeah, but you've seen Avengers. I've seen Avengers, but I wasn't really. I was like, oh, that's a space dude talking to another space dude. They're ah, evil space dudes, and I right, and I watched right, that going. I right. am not taking any importance of this thing because I don't. I have no frame of reference of who these people are. All I know is yeah. that I know that they should be considered evil. Because of cinematography mm. and communication in, in, in film, uh, you know, fools like oh, he's he's sat in an evil-looking chair, looking dark. He's definitely a bad guy because of Star Wars films. Again, Star Wars, um, and, it, and this is the thing: it's like I had no idea, and then then because of this film, then people started saying, oh, Thanos is going to become important later because of Infinity Stones, and I was like. Well, I don't think they're ever going to do something like that into film because it sounds too ridiculous. Colour me wrong. Colour me wrong. I completely forgot he was even in this movie. I completely forgot he was in it. Okay, that's fair play. <clears throat> I thought it was just all Ronan and like, and like, no, not not it was, but in it to this extent. I I I, I guess I remembered there was some sort of video conference, the Zoom meeting between uh, Ronan and Thanos. Um, a Skype chat, but I don't remember him like physically being in. Like he crops up like three times, and yeah. and he actually meets him in person and all that. I, I don't, I didn't remember that at all. The rewatch, I oh, open my eyes, mate. It, it's like it's like the Hannibal Lecter of the uh, of the MCU. He, you mostly see him behind glass, and then at some point he breaks out, and he seems more menacing That's behind right. glass. <laughs> anyway. That was that was my that's the first time I was truly aware of him. So and we and here we have sorry. What so what what were your what your what your kind of big impressions from this movie of him then? I I just from this movie I just went oh it's a 
big bloke in an evil-looking chair who's obviously a space emperor. I was like, this is a very archetypical character, possibly of some importance to the people who know the comic books, but not really anything important for me at the moment. And then people are saying, oh no, he's incredibly powerful. He's an incredibly powerful being. You don't know how powerful he is. He's almost like a god. And I was like, oh, okay. Didn't see any of that well, those in the people film. need to shut up. Those people need to shut up because that's not true. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember the jibber-jabber from I shouldn't then. say that, but sometimes sometimes comic book readers are just... They're just... They're just... No. Um, they're just a bit too, you know... <laughs> he's not. He's not. He's not nearly a god. That's ludicrous. Um, that's really interesting because I had... I'm I, again. This is the really interesting, exciting thing for me about this podcast is I can now see it through your eyes. Yes, and I can now see it <clears throat> as being like <laughs> the context of who the character is to me from the comic books layers how I see him for the first time on the screen and provides that shading to the character. Without that, yeah, I yeah. wonder whether you're just completely lost almost. I, I mean, I was completely lost, and it was like I'm. I was fine with that because this is the film. Looking back of what the story we talked about, we have talked about. We talked about uh, the, the 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 what the corpse again, the uh, the Nova Corps, the Xander, the the Ronan, the thing, and it's like there is so much to take in that I've had no previous context with. But the thing is, I am familiar with space opera. I'm familiar with Marvel comics. I'm familiar with sci-fi. I'm familiar with Star Wars. I just took it all on board and went, okay. Good guy, good guy, bad guy. That's all I needed to know, and, and it's fine. It was communicated well for me, but I didn't need to know absolutely. Specifics. I mean, up in, but up until this point, <clears throat> I don't think any of the additional comic book trivia has been needed to inform anything. But I, I, seeing through your eyes now, I'm seeing quite like a flat character. Like I'm seeing, yeah. do you know what I mean? I am seeing, as you said, I'm seeing like a. Like kind of a not 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 necessarily cheesy, but kind of like a stereotype, kind of like a oh right, just a, so a space emperor then, okay, yeah. bad guy. I, 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 I saw. Like I, yeah, I have all the context to go. Wow, he looks really cool. That's a great depiction of him, and I have this this stuff chunding along. But you know, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't make or break any of the other things that we've talked about the the trivia behind them and who they really are in the comic books. But mm. this, I I fear or wonder whether it really does. You know, get people out there, let let us know when the first time you saw mm. Thanos in this movie. Forget the Avengers because it's just a little glimpse. Like, and it's the first time you've ever seen him. You haven't read the comics. Like, what 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 impression did you have to begin with? Um, drop us a line, Marvel yeah. versus Marvel at gmail dot com, or send us a tweet on the old Twitter machine at Marvel versus. At Marvel versus, I'd really like to hear about that. Sorry, man. Carry no, on. It's, it's 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 fine. It's fine. Uh, anyway, that was my opinion on Thanos. So uh, let's get on to the other guy who seems to be has a bit more involvement in this film. Ronan is definitely a major character. Is he someone from the comic books? Yeah, yeah. Um, a, a lot of Marvel's space characters kind of have their roots as the alien villain of the month who tried to kill the Fantastic Four in the 1960s. Mm. Like, every couple of issues, there'd be, oh, here comes a Martian. Yeah. Oh, here comes <laughs> someone from Pluto. Um, and and that's that's Ronan. He, he's one of those. Um, the, the Kree in the comic books are a stern but honourable military race. 
they are like the Spartans or the Romans to a certain yeah. extent. Yeah. And they have something within them called the Accuser Corps. Lots of cores knocking around <laughs> in this one. Yeah. Uh, the the Accuser Corps who were like military judge and juries and executioners who who go out and execute martial law, creed law throughout the empire. And and Ronan is a is a fearless warrior in the, of the Cree who rose up through the ranks to become supreme accuser, the third most powerful man in the Cree Empire, and the strong right hand of the thing that rules the Cree Empire, which is called the Supreme Intelligence, mm. which is um, an artificial intelligence. So yeah. at one point in the Cree history, the Cree um, created the the scrolls created the cosmic cube yeah. which we'll remember as being the tesseract the scrolls created the first one of that and the kree to counteract that created their own highly advanced super weapon which was artificial intelligence and they took the greatest minds of the kree empire and and even ones that had died and they kind of plugged it into this to this huge vat connected to these huge huge computers and created this giant like floating head in a in a giant vat called <laughs> Supremo the Supreme Intelligence. Yeah. He is one of my favourite, favourite, favourite characters in all of the Marvel space stuff. I love the Supreme Intelligence. It's such a cool old school name. The look of him is awesome. I love him. Um so so Ronan follows orders and battles the Fantastic Four and the Avengers and He's waged countless wars, but he's also turned against the Empire when he felt that something really underhanded was going on. He's not necessarily a good guy because he will always put his own people ahead of Earth and the humans and kind of anyone else. But he does have, he does have a, uh, there is honour to him. Um, yeah, there is. He's, he's oh, so, generally an antagonist, but he has honour. Because in here he's he's, yeah, he's mad. Yeah. He's, he's he's almost your cackling villain, except he doesn't cackle. He sort of goes. Oh. Well, he, he there's, there's it's very much a racial bent in this, and it's very much a almost a Northern Ireland kind of Irish, you know, oppressment kind of tinge yeah. to it. I, I don't necessarily think it's that cackling. It's a li- it gets a little bit that way when the he gets the the the, the power and he goes mad, but. I think it's it's um, interesting it, when we talked about the roots of the Guardians of the Galaxy being guerrilla fighters. Mm. Well, they're not in this, but Ronan and his people are. Ronan and his people seem to be guerrilla fighters, and Xandar has sort of I don't know annexed Kree, and the Kree have surrendered, and all this kind of all this. They, they seem to be the guerrilla the guerrilla fighters. Okay, um, that's that's a nice evolution Ron, there, Ronan. Ronan f- yeah, it's it's an interesting little 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 bent on it. Uh, Ronan fights along Quill and and the United Front, the Resistance fighters during the Annihilation Wars, just prior to um, the Guardians being formed. But he is one of the many characters that Quill goes to to try and join the Guardians of the Galaxy and gets rejected and turned down by because Ronan's focus is not the rest of the galaxy. Ronan's focus is Cree, Cree, Cree. I've got to sort my own people out. And also, no offense, Quill, <laughs> but you were just like a foot. You're just a foot soldier. What are you talking about? 
You're going to yeah. save the galaxy. Jog on, mate. Jog on. <laughs> Jog on in your space plane. So, yeah. Ronan Ro- 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 seems fairly balanced. I-, I felt it was a bit two-dimensional here. Did you- what, did- what did you think? Well, I- again, th- th- I think they-, they perhaps could have played that. Uh, you know, I-, I very much got the feeling of guerrilla, warrior, mm. or terrorist. You know, how's it freedom fighter or terrorist, that kind of thing. I think they could have played that card a little harder and they could have shown us something that justified, you know, something that perhaps had gone on between uh, the Zandarians and the Kree. But it's, it, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, it's more of a light-hearted movie and they, they, they've got to rattle on through some things. So, yeah, they, they, I, I felt he could have done with a bit more shading. You're right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, and again, I, I'm always like that. I'm always picky. Anyway, back in prison... Quill and his allies, accompanied by Drax, manage to escape the kiln, distracting the guards by disabling the station's artificial gravity. They travel to a space station called (laughs) Nowhere, where the fugitives spend time drinking and gambling while Gamora waits for a contact to arrange purchase of the orb. After a few drinks at a local bar, Drax and Rocket get into a fight after Drax insults Rocket's appearance, after which... A morose rocket laments his creation and the pain he was forced to endure. So, Drax is a great character. Uh, I, I, I mean, by the time they've got out of the prison, he's already come up with some great lines. Like, what was it? What was it? He talks about things going over his head, and he goes, "Why would something go over my head? I would simply catch it. My reflexes are too too good, or whatever." I thought, that yeah, was a- he's he's very he's very literal, which I don't think we've seen p- portrayed, and and that's a very interesting way of. Um, portraying like a different, uh, like, like it's alien in terms of culture rather than appearance yep. and language. That's I quite like interesting. That. I like that depth. I like that depth to it. Uh, also, I once read online uh, that that uh, an autistic child went to see this film and then got really excited uh, upon you know seeing how Drax behaved because he was like, "Oh my god, I understand that. I totally understand why he's doing that. He's taking everything literally just like me." Oh, and it really? Was like, yeah, and I, I, I mean, it's one of those moments where you go, oh my God, that's a, that's a great way of looking at it, you know, like, in an interesting way. I can't remember where I saw that, but it was just like, <coughs> where, oh my where, God. Oh, right. Yeah. I, Unverified source. Oh, wow. Sounds Fred. like fake news to me. All right, Wikipedia, calm down. <laughs> Sounds like a Disney story that Disney planted. Oh, no, this is pre-Disney, isn't it? Okay, carry on. This is pre-Disney. I, I don't know. I don't know where the timeline is. Uh, right, so also... I did play the Guardians of the Galaxy Telltale series. It was a very good game. What does that What does that mean? Basically, Telltale games Telltale. are these story-driven games of multiple decisions. Uh, they've done The Walking Dead, Batman, uh, Ma- Minecraft, Jurassic Park. They've done all these different... They, they're basically the games that kind of fit into the universe, if that makes sense, or a reinterpretation. And they did a Guardians of the Galaxy game, and they actually did uh, explore Rocket's past in it. Oh, wish, right. I, How do you play the game? What do you do in the game then? It, it, it's almost like a point. Remember the old point and click games from the nineties? Yeah, yeah, around, yeah. I love them. Walk around solving puzzles, <clears throat> and then sometimes you have to do quick bits where you have to press the button at the right time when you're doing action bits. There is a really I, I I won't go too much into it, but they 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 retain the the film style way of things. It looks cartoony, but they play like uh, they played a bit of ELO at one bit, a bit of heart, and at one point you have to. Esc- oh your, wow! Yeah, on your spaceship, you're out running this whole huge, this huge worm, and what do they choose to play? Queen's Stone Cold Crazy while this chase scene happens, and it was perfect. Awesome! It was so awesome. good. Uh, yeah, 
also I'll take a look at that. That sounds really fun. No, definitely. definitely. Uh, look at look at look at the trailer. It's very very. It's a very interesting game. Uh, so let's explore. So that explored that explored some of Rocket's uh, past. Then yeah, I want to make sure that. Uh, that that's correct from what what's what's been said. Well, well, well tell us then. Well, well, let's turn the tables. Well, well, let's they, well, flip the switch. So, split, split, so Will, yeah. what can you tell us about Rocky Raccoon's uh, past? Uh, in his past, uh, he he was subject to some kind of genetic experiments in a lab, and he befriended uh, what seemed to be another similar like mammal who had similar and another talking mammal. And they, they just had to escape together, but she died. This other this other mammal died along the way, and he escaped. It, uh, Where did this take place? I can't remember. I can't remember. It was a while no. when I last played that game. Well, that sounds reasonable. That sounds well considered, well thought out, and 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 like it wasn't a cocaine fueled nightmare. Oh, here we go. So I'm afraid that's incorrect. <laughs> because that is not how Rocket came to be. Yay. Um, So Rocket Raccoon, created by uh, Bill Mantlo and Keith Giffen in 1976 um, and and draws some inspiration from uh, the Beatles song off the White Album. They have a honky-tonk country song called uh, Rocky Raccoon. Raccoon. Um, He's a very ignored character. Not surprised. A very obscure character. Not surprised. So he he had ten appearances in his first thirty years of existence. Ten appearances Oof. in thirty years, completely ignored. Um, and it, it's not so during the first Annihilation series. Rocket's creator Keith Giffen, who was just like a, a not just sorry, but he was only an artist at the time in 1976. By 2000 and whatever. He's a very, very well thought of, highly respected and acclaimed writer, as well as an artist. I don't think he does the artwork anymore. He mainly focuses on the, on the on the writing. And his creator was writing the majority of the first Annihilation series and go. kept pitching to the editors, "Hey, let's use Rocket Raccoon. Hey, why don't we use Rocket Raccoon, guys? Does anyone remember Rocket Raccoon? Everyone's talking about him." Um, and uh, he kept pitching this, and he kept pitching this, and he kept saying, "What about Rocket Raccoon?" And and here's another thing: Rocket Raccoon. He's got this house plant, and this house plant. It's only Groot. Do you remember Groot? <laughs> and everyone was like, they they, they, la- they were laughing at it, and they're going, "That's really that's really fun, Keith." But the tone of Annihilation is very dark. It's a it's it's a war story. It's a completely and wholly a war story. And this was a little too lighthearted. But Giffen managed to get Rocket brought back to the Marvel Universe as part of the sequel to Annihilation, the second wars, which were called Annihilation Conquest. And the character uh, hit, hit such a, a chord that he was folded into the New Guardians team. So Rocket's original history is so weird. It's okay. very weird. One sec, I'm just going to take a little swig. Here we go. He's charging get up Get prepared. People. So Rocket Raccoon comes from a part of the galaxy sealed off from everywhere else. Like no one else has ever been in there, got at it. And he comes from a planet called Half World, which is half industrialized and, and highly advanced and half lush and green only. Right, Literally split down the middle, Half World. And Half World was um, artificially created and designed to house mentally ill people. And the robots that are in charge of Half World 
took all the animals on Half World and genetically and cybernetically modified the animals to give them all sentience and intelligence, to give them the ability to talk and reason, and turn them all into like the 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 carers that cared for the mentally ill patients that lived humanoids that lived on Half World. And Rocket, are you with me? Oh, <laughs> and weird. Rocket Raccoon, for some reason, is some kind of sheriff <laughs> of the animals on the mental hospital half world. And then also, in the middle of this, there's something called the Toy War. And it's insane. It's it's absolutely insane. Um and one of his um one of his other characters at the time in nineteen eighty two um, is called Blackjack O'Hare, which is a space-faring <laughs> bunny rabbit. Now, yeah, I mean, Bucky O'Hare is yeah. was knocking around in in the in the late seventies, so that seems like a rip-off to me. Um, That's yeah, forget forget that. Because it was the 80s, and it's very, very apparent that everyone involved in this Rocket Raccoon story was doing a lot of cocaine. And I cannot <laughs> think of another reason, because there's, there's no way... And I, I had, I had uh, issues with this when I was a kid, and I can remember... Like it just didn't it it just it didn't make any sense to me. More even more so, like two thousand AD used to jar me as a kid because yeah. I read a lot I read it, but I was more used to the American stuff. This was just it, it it held no context whatsoever. So forget that. Rocket resurfaces kind of like thirty years down the line from his original creation and kind of like, you know, from the nineteen eighties to the two thousand and six, no one's anything with him. He, he he resurfaces during the the second annihilation war during the, the phalanx conquest of the Kree empire uh he's he's got his his comrade in arms group with him yep. and he works with peter quill and the other resistant fighters and he's now depicted as a grumpy swearing tactical expert with lots of guns and and that's kind of his new his new vibe <laughs> it's a good vibe. I love the vibe, especially who's playing. Who's playing his voice again? Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper. That is a weird choice to voice, isn't it? It's a very weird choice. Will Bradley Cooper is a famous and expensive actor who is well known for being like Hollywood heartthrob. Yeah, and Marvel pay him a lot of money to never show his face. <laughs> like, I don't know why you couldn't have gone to get any of the humongously talented voiceover artists that are not famous to do the voiceover. I don't get it. He was never on set. I don't get it. M- m- maybe, maybe his name value is worth that much. But I, you know, oh, so he's he's like, he's the he's the biggest name on the team. He's the biggest name on the team. Because Vin Diesel? Diesel hasn't had, yeah, no, he hasn't had the Fast and Furious resurgence just yet, right? Because okay. the Fast, because he did the first one and then he didn't do any of the others, and I think like after this he comes back and starts to do the the really popular ones. Yeah, yeah. So I I don't know, I don't know. 
But imagine, even if even if Vin Diesel is the biggest name, imagine being a Vin Diesel fan and going to see this movie. You're not going to feel let down by it. Like, know. not only does he not appear in it, but he doesn't really say anything. Again, I don't get why you pay Vin Diesel a lot of money to say three lines, you know, three words again and again. I get the feeling that they but, wanted to be in a Marvel film. They went, we don't care where you put us. Just put us somewhere. I'm happy voicing a tree. Do you think? I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I, anyway, yeah. That's, maybe, maybe. 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 So... And this, let's get on to the space station Nowhere, uh, spelt no as in knowledge and where as in where. Looks cool. Is that from the comics as well? Because that is a really cool design. Yeah. It, it, it looks like... Um, it comes across like a pirate island in the movies. You know? Like those places that pir- you know, pirates would have somewhere along the, 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 the shipping lines... There would be this island or this port that was entirely theirs and like had no jurisdiction. No one had any jurisdiction over it, and that's where the pirates would all kind of hold up. That's the vibe you get from from nowhere in this movie, mm-hmm. especially when the ravagers kind of arrive and kick around and stuff. Um, it is it's it's different in in the comic books. It is the severed head of an ancient celestial. <laughs> Celestials are the most ancient. They're they're probably the most one of the most ancient civilizations in the Marvel universe. It's potent, they are potentially responsible for all superpowers in the entire universe, entire galaxy. They manipulate every race that's ever existed, and and toyed with genetics and and all sorts of stuff. They are. It's impossible to kind of know what they are, what their intentions are, and their plans and their designs. They're they're deeply, deeply, deeply. You know, they're bigger than Galactus. And yeah, terrifying. It's very Lovecraftian, isn't it? It's, it feels very Lovecraftian, in a way, without the fish stuff. It, right, so imagine if Lovecraft, who's overrated, um, was then had his things designed by Jack Kirby. Ah, uh, there we go. That's the Celestials. That, like and that's that. number one why it's better, because Jack Kirby's designing you. Yeah, exactly. So the, the, the floating head is located at, at what's called the Rip, which is the extreme outer edge of all space-time. It is where it is. It is basically it's located at the the death of the universe. Mm. This this kind of uh, fragment at the end of space-time where everything is about. You can go there and watch the universe die, uh, oh. and that's kind of the attraction of nowhere. Um, mm. It's a makeshift observatory at the end yeah. of everything, and the travelers that come through there. Are kind of like all different species from all different times as well. Time overlaps in nowhere. Um, travelers can come from the future or the or the past or, or whatever. It's a safe haven um, for for everyone that's there, ran by a very unique telepathic administrator, who we'll meet a little bit later on. Okay, we'll save that for later. We now head to the collector's museum. While Drax furiously leaves the proceedings. The rest of the group are summoned by Karina to meet meet with. Okay, I'm going to get this right. Tanalia Tivan. Is there that his There we go. Because ah. was it Tivan? Is it Tivorn or Tivan? Because they, they... No, no, no one no one in Marvel ever calls him by that name at all. I when yeah. it, when the movie came out, I thought they made the name up for him. Everyone just, he's just the collector. He is. I, um, I, I want to call him. Yeah, let's call him the collector. I don't know why I've written it down as Tivan. Yeah. The collector arriving well, at they, they they 
they call him they call him by his name in the movie again it's a thing of it's a, it feels a little bit like they think they think calling him the collector feels a bit side too sci-fi y <laughs> which is weird in this movie you know yeah. i can understand it in some of your earth-based stuff like the hulk but we're just going to do you know mainly focus on bruce banner or iron man but we mainly focus on tony stark we don't want to alienate too many people guys you're in space you've got a, a talking raccoon in a tree you can call him the collector <laughs> yeah so call him the collector so arriving at the collector's museum their group hand the orb over to the collector who opens up the artifact to reveal an infinity stone, an item of immeasurable power that destroys all but the most powerful beings who wield it. He explains that the stone. So let's just yep. let's just let's just halt there for a moment, yeah. and that's the first time we're really seeing the infinity stones. Yes, and or with, that with video that he shows. Yeah, yeah. The, the video that he shows them all shows that huge, huge creature standing. Yep. Taller, you know, like like in you. I mean, not even Godzilla like it. It's it's absolutely huge, and it, and it has one of the stones, and it uses it to to you know raise humanity. That's a celestial. Ah, there we go, there we go. So that's a celestial. That's that's a celestial. Yeah. So that's and which Infinity Stone is that? In the purple one. That's the uh, is that the Power Stone? I've you know what? I've no idea. It's different in the comics. I don't know. I don't really know the colours. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I I think it's the power stone. Anyway. T- so he explains the stones were the remnants of six similarities that predate the universe. Their power compacted into six stones, and that their power was far too great for all but the most powerful buildings to wield. All others are inevitably destroyed. The collector prepares to give the outlaws their payment. But Karina sees this as a chance to free him, free herself from his servitude. Suddenly grabs the stone and taps into its power. A massive energy pulse is fired from the orb, killing Karina and blowing much of the collector's collection. Quill, Gamora, Rocket and Groot barely escape with their lives. Okay, I think this is a chance uh, to, to wield the power with the VHS pause button. Let's press pause. And Rob, can you tell me how many valid things are in the collector's collection in this scene? It's not. It's not like you think. It's not like when we did the X Men pause on that screen in X Men Two. Um, it's 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 not. There's not many comic book Easter eggs here. Mm. It's mainly MCU stuff, and then just weird, vague, a vague alien thing. Like there's some tentacles. There's a one-eyed alien. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. So, MCU stuff. There's a Chitari from the Avengers movie. Mm. And there's what looks to be a dark elf from Thor. Yeah, I noticed a dark elf. There's a very there's what looks to be a very a, a, a someone in a block of ice or someone in a very cold thing. I mean, that could be. It's probably not going to be Iceman. It's not going to be Han Solo. Uh, if there's a dark elf, it might be a it might be an, a frost. One of the mini frost giants that you've got nowadays. You've been about them. Yeah, Seen yeah. The papers, yeah. the mini frost giants. They got mini frost giants or, now. I can't, I can't, you know, there's not much, yeah. Now, there are some. So, obviously, there's Howard the Duck there. Obviously, yeah, we know Howard the Duck's there. Uh, and we, we, we get him right at the very end as well, don't we? Howard the Duck is a, he's a real key figure in, in Marvel in, in the 1970s. He was an example <laughs> with his creator, Steve Gerber, who, who wrote, he's an example of, like, 
anarchic indie comic book sensibility yeah. is being folded into a mainstream Marvel series. Forget Deadpool, man. Uh, Howard's the first guy that was like breaking the fourth wall and <laughs> doing this, that, and the other, and knowing he's in a comic book and yeah, th- yeah, things like yeah. that. And and Gerber also wrote the Guardians of the Galaxy comic book for a while in the seventies. So that's a nice that's a nice link. Um, and 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 Howard is the the very first modern Marvel movie. Howard the Duck, George Lucas. Um, so that's fun. We have uh, the 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 bestest doggo in all the galaxy. Uh, yeah. Cosmo the space dog is there in the spacesuit. Is that an actual Marvel um, character? And I, I, that's that's a Marvel. That's that's not a reference to the Russians sending dogs in space. So I, I did a quiz and I quizzed people on the MCU oh. uh, during the during the early days of lockdown before we launched this podcast, and I was trying to find an outlet for anything. And I, it was a, it was, you know what? I'll post it on the Patreon. It was a double, double hard MCU quiz. Maybe I won't, because maybe this is the one. This won't be the one you take, because that's brutal. It's brutal. You wouldn't, you, you, you'd die. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and everyone answered when I said, you know, name to the animals in the collector's museum. They name how the duck, and then they say, and then they always say, uh, like Laker. Laika, the the Russian cosmonaut dog, yeah, um, and I was like, no, uh, that's what the dog is kind of like a reference, reference to, to yeah. the character. This is Cosmo the space dog, created a character created by uh, Abner and Lanning, who, who who created this modern Guardians of the Galaxy and wrote huge amounts of the Annihilation Wars. Um, Cosmo was uh, you know a, a reference to to, to the, the the Russians shooting dogs into space. He was shot into space. He drifts through the, the the space in the 1960s, and he's hit by the same cosmic rays that give the Fantastic Four their powers. <laughs> and and during his journey, he becomes sentient and, and highly intelligent, and he becomes telepathic and telekinetic as well. And he his his ship somehow arrives at nowhere, and and he becomes the the telepathic administrator of nowhere, and <laughs> you know. Ends up uh, trying to keep the peace between all the different visitors and cultures and races in a very, a very Babylon Five kind of yeah, way. Yeah. Um, and he's a wonderful part of the Guardians um, comic book series. Cosmo is a uh, great character, and there's also a cocoon. Right. And I, I okay. don't know if I should mention the cocoon because it crops up much more prominently in the second Guardian film. That's probably where. That's probably where we should deal with it. Um, let's, let's deal with it then. I for, think for, yeah. for for cosmic Marvel fans, it is very exciting to see a cocoon like that. I did a little yelp when I saw it in the second movie. So, yeah, we'll leave it for the second movie. Okay, that's fine with me. So uh, this is one thing I don't understand about the collector's collection and and everything within. Why does he have a human slave when a robot one would be A, easier to come by, B, easier to control, and C, easier to maintain? It just doesn't make sense to me that he has a human slave. I know it's like it adds to the character of like he's a horrible person, but... Well, I mean, I don't necessarily think it's, it's kind of adding to the... I mean, he he's a... He's a um... So... We it's 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 probably important that we see the collector as being not 
not part feeling that he's beyond morality. Yeah, we go. Seeing that he's not a good guy, that that he's about artifacts and he's about his own agenda, which is possession. Possession, yeah. And what is the what it, what is the number one thing to possess? Well, if you can possess a person, uh, a soul, there if you can possess we go. freedom, that 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 kind of that kind of thing. Um and he he clearly enjoyed it. We see that a bit later on as well, don't we? In the mm. in the Infinity stuff, he comes up again. We see that he's yeah, he's not a good dude. He's not. I mean, I mean, he he he's just a, he's kleptomaniac's logical conclusion. He's <laughs> just collecting everything. Yeah, he is an intergalactic um, intergalactic. Uh, Winning a rider at the end of the day. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, still a great person. So that's what you can. That's what you can tell us about the collector, then. Yeah. I mean, is there anything else you can tell us about him? Because I, I know, I know he's quite prominent in the <laughs> comics, but you know. Well, he comes and goes because he, he because he's you know he's not like a character character. He's a he's a he's a an antagonist. So he's an ancient immortal elder of the universe. He and his wife were the last survivors. Of the very first species in this universe, mm. and death makes a pact with the survivors of the first races in the universe, mm. and grants them all immortality, so as to preserve these important species forever in some way. And these creatures are all known as the elders of the universe, and and throughout their immortality, they kind of grow in their power and their strength and their abilities because they're kind of just it just seems to be something that happens when you when you when you keep growing in age and keep kind of they seem to all develop abilities to kind of absorb cosmic cosmic powers mm. um his wife Tivan's wife gets bored gives up immortality and chooses to die oh. and so he decides from that point on to he's got nothing to else to really live for so he dedicates his existence to preserving other species in the same way that, that death did by collecting important things from important cultures mm. he for his entire existence has looked like a very frail looking old man with white hair um yeah that's changed since the movies comes out he now looks more like del toro um uh, so they've altered how the what the character looks like. He looks younger now, and his his white hair is now like cool and stylized rather than old man white hair. Um, <laughs> he has <clears throat> he has entire planets dedicated to housing his collections. Yeah, um, and he re- routinely enters into competitions and distractions with other elders of the universe, particularly the Grand Master, who's like he considers his brother. And he could be bribed and cajoled into doing lots of different things by the promise of collecting something important. Um, at one time, he tried to collect. I think one of his earliest appearances, he tried to collect all of the Avengers. Um, he's also worked alongside heroes when the threat is is big enough and, and, and great enough. We talked about the Korvac saga earlier mm. on. He, he he kind of yeah he worked with them to a certain extent in that. And yeah, he's he's. He's very powerful. He can manipulate cosmic energies. He can see into the future, and and he can, well, he has access to items of incredible power and and technology because he's collected them over the years. Yeah, doesn't surprise. He, he comes as one of those characters who seems to have that sort of elasticated logic to him, where it's just like, yeah, we can make him ridiculous as possible. Planets to hold things in, 
yeah, we'll do that. We're at this point now, might as well. <clears throat> yeah, but it, no, but it, well, it makes sense though, doesn't it? If you've been oh, collecting yeah. things since the dawn of time, you you need something bigger than a garage. <laughs> Indeed. So anyway, back to the film. Things are hotting up. Gamora, finally understanding the full extent of the danger of the orb holds, uh, attempts to convince the others to hand it over to the Nova Corps for protection. But at that moment, Ronan and his forces suddenly arrive, having been summoned by a drunken Drax. While Drax battles Ronan, the others attempt to escape using the mining pods and are pursued by Nebula and Roman's minions. Sorry, Ronan's minions. Ronan easily defeats Drax taunting him over the death of his family while Nebula destroys Gamora's pod, leaving her floating in space. Nebula takes the orb and Ronan's forces depart. Despite Rocket's insistence that they flee, Quill finds himself unwilling to leave Gamora and summons Udontu before fl- following her into space, giving her his helmet to survive. Yondu arrives and collects the pair before they die. So this whole scene, this is where it feels like a Star Wars movie. It's like a nice little space battle. Oh, right. Yep. Battle in space. You can't take that away from you. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I, I found... But, I mean, do, but does, ev- does every battle in space feel like a Star Wars movie then? Only if it's exciting and it's like... Vroom, 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 I know. suppose it's got... Yeah, those, those, those mine ships do have a bit of a TIE fighter feel to them. Yes, they're zipping them out, don't they? I suppose. Absolutely, that's what yeah. I was going okay. for. That was I was going for. Uh, I I I, th- I think it was more interesting than the newer Star Wars films, to be honest, because I was really bored with the <laughs> some of the space battles in them. I really enjoyed this. Uh, also, I I like what they sort of have is here is they have their sort of own theory as to what happens in a human body, what's left in space. <clears throat> like it, there's that whole crystal crystalling up because of the freezing temperature of space. And you see this in the next film as well when they shovel a load of bodies out. They're all just sort of frosting over. And I, and I kind of like that because there's so many theories or in, in popular culture and films about what happens if you're left in the vacuum of space. They're not in the vacuum of space. What are they in then? There's a, an atmosphere. They, they say it in the movie. There's an atmosphere. Oh, okay. There's well, a partial flo- atmosphere. But they're floating. Which is, which is why they don't, why they don't <laughs> immediately explode. Apparently that, that doesn't actually happen. Uh, I've read that somewhere. <laughs> but somehow have ex- you I, I read it somewhere it's like no you just sort of die they, they, it's, uh, it's not you know you just die oh really yeah I mean to be fair uh, air has a natural way of getting out the body anyway it wouldn't you know get trapped and suddenly do that so uh, no but it, yeah okay it just uh, yeah. yeah I think you explode but there I, we go I, I, I think the idea of exploding is great, greatly horrific but I don't know anyway I obviously got that wrong so let's talk about Nebula. I think this is the right time to discuss her. Yah ha ha! She be a space pirate, be Nebula. <laughs> Indie comic books. I'm gonna try and keep this up for the whole segment on Nebula. Utterly <laughs> ruthless, be that Nebula. And has nearly destroyed yon universe twice, be told now. During times when Thanos was dead. Nebula and her band of pirates, Yar, took over his old spaceship, his old base of operations, and they did use it to launch attacks throughout the galaxy. Ha ha, ha ha. Nebula, alas that she be, began telling all and sundry she was the daughter of Thanos. Gather round, look at me, I'm the baddest, 
be word ye can see. And then, <coughs> sorry, <laughs> it just takes a little bit out of the old voice. I know. <clears throat> I'm going to stick with it. I'm sticking with it. Stick, stick with, with it. it. We'll, we'll, we'll go with it. Okay. 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 <clears throat> she had her fleet murder almost every single hahar member of the Nova Corps. Used an insanely powerful device to create her second Big Bang that Whoa. came close to destroying the whole universe before them dastardly Avengers did stop her. Ha 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 ha. And once she strapped the Silver Surfer to a fusion bomb. Going a bit Cornish now. <laughs> well, and, they are part, they are Cornish. And then flew it to the heart of a moon. <laughs> and then. When Thanos returned from the dead and began assembling yon infinity gems, Thanos found himself deeply affronted, nay insulted, that <laughs> Nebular had been running around claiming to be his granddaughter. So Thanos transformed Nebular into a grotesque virtual zombie corpse still barely alive, leaving her maimed and a seemingly mindless zombie, burned and disfigured beyond recognition. Ha-har, ha-har, ha-har. When he had the Infinity Gauntlet, he kept Nebula by his side, because he found it amusing to look at her a disfigured and powerless corpse-like body, boasting to all that she was his greatest creation, and perpetual agony and unable to die. Yar. So that's yeah, that's a rather disturbing. Excuse me. Oh, good lord! That was. Uh... That's the rather disturbing. Yeah, she's she's um she's really she's really 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 immensely badass in the comics. <clears throat> okay. They kind of when when Thanos is out of the way, they go okay, we're going to have this new basically this new female Thanos. She's younger. She's because Thanos to begin with was pretty much a space pirate, right? <clears throat> when he starts to do the super cosmic destroy the universe stuff, it, it kind of changes how he is forever. But to begin with, he's kind of just a space pirate. He's got a spaceship. He goes around killing people and stealing stuff, and he wants power and he wants stuff. Yeah. And so they come up with this new version who's going to be young female Thanos. She's going to be absolutely <laughs> deadly, and she wipes out the Nova Corps straight away and nearly destroys the whole universe and and tells everyone. And it's n- it's not. They may well have changed it now because, quite frankly, once the movies come out. The comic books change quite a lot, but to my recollection and knowledge, they had never really settled whether she actually had any actual blood with uh, relation to Thanos or to the Eternals. I, I always got the impression it was a thing she said, like when someone replaces Blackbeard and says, "Aha, I be the son of Blackbeard. This uh, is yeah. my ship now." So I, I, I always got that vibe from it. So yeah, so ever since Thanos did that awful, horrific, horrible, genuinely disturbing thing to her in the Infinity Corner, where he, he creates this kind of living zombie in perpetual agony, and she can't speak and she can't move, and ever since he did that to her, she's held a bit of a grudge, <laughs> um, and we can't do it now, but she is immensely important to the Infinity Saga. Okay, we'll talk about that. So uh, we'll talk about that. <clears throat> yeah. Also, things got romantic between Gamora and Quill there. In the comics, do they have that kind of relationship? And don't no, do it in the pirate voice. No, not really. 
Oh, oh thank you. No, thank you for letting me out of that. Yeah, <laughs> no, they they don't. There's there's a slight allusion uh, uh, allusion to it mm. during the Guardians book, mm. but Gamora's real connection is to Quinn's old war buddy Nova, Richard Ryder. Gamora and and Nova had a relationship in the trenches during the first Annihilation War, um, and then during the second Annihilation War, when the Phalanx who are, we've said this before, the Phalanx are kind of, oh no we haven't, that was in the bonus episode the Phalanx are kind of like the Borg they're an AI that can infect uh, human humanoids and other species and creatures and kind of absorb them into the hive mind. Nova frees Gamora from, from the the Phalanx and um, they share a strong bond so I think they've probably changed it. I, I, I would imagine they've changed it now but no, not, not really there's some flirtation but yeah, it's it's more Gamora and Nova. Yeah, that makes sense. So, back to the tale. On the Darkaster, Ronan <laughs> contacts Thanos, who demands that the Kree deliver the orb to him as promised. However, Ronan embeds the Power Stone in his hammer, taking its power for himself, promising that after the, the destruction of Xandar, he will come for Thanos. Hateful of her adopted father for all the suffering he brought on her throughout her life, Nebula agrees to aid Ronan. Well, I, I said it before. Ronan is a typical mad villain. Villain here, isn't he? He's just he's just being like doing what he wants to do, and then going, "Ah, everything in my way will be ash." Um, once he gets the power, yeah, I, I think it. They think they do a. They definitely do a a good job of showing how. Thanos dismisses and affronts Ronan, so I can see him. I it makes sense. It's not like it's not. A, it doesn't come out of nowhere that he's. Why should I hand this over to you? Mm. Um, <clears throat> well, you couldn't even get a face to face with him. Um, so I, yeah, I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's quite as bad as you as you, as you think mm. as you as you feel about it. But yeah, he certainly doesn't have a huge amount of depth. Yeah, I, I, I mean, he, he, did, he, did his, he did his function in this. We didn't need a complicated <laughs> villain like Thanos until we did something big like Infinity Wars. But yeah, that's the first impression I got. Also, Ronan has a hammer here. Why does he have a hammer? Is he is he trying to be Thor, or is this just what a standard weapon for the Kree? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the Roman's hammer is, a, is um, it's called the uh, Universal Weapon, and it's mm. wielded by the Supreme Accuser. It doesn't have an infinity gem stuck into it, but but even without that, it's really powerful, man. It's really powerful. Um, it can absorb and fire cosmic energy. It can mm. manipulate matter and like change the atomic structure of things. It can generate force fields. It can control gravity. Mm. It can create um, time motion displacement fields, so he can slow you down in time, um, and it can make him fly. Uh, through, you can fly through. You can fly in an atmosphere, and it creates interstellar teleportation throughout the galaxy. Wow. Okay. So it's a bit. Of, it's a, a bit very of... power. It's a very powerful bit of kit. It's a, it's like a big tool. Hmm. Right. Okay. We got that covered then. So back. Is, is there any need for that? What? I, I, is there any need for that? I had to. I had to. I had to make it sound like Alan Partridge thing because I can't say anything like that without doing it in an Alan Partridge voice. Like, is that right? Is is that? Do you do you have to? Well, okay, I'll try not to then. <laughs> <laughs> I I do want to just I do want to just because that that kind of like that's the moment that the the guardians come together right there, isn't yeah. it? And become 
and decide they're going to do something like noble and, and, and heroic, um, which is like very very different to how it is in in, in the comic books. They they they're basically old war. They're all old war buddies. Yeah. Um, who who have who have been through two wars together and and Quill decides that you know the, these horrific things keep taking us by surprise. We need to make sure that doesn't ever happen again. And so he, he he tries to put a team together, and all the major players like Ronan, they're they're all wrapped up in their own politics of <laughs> empires and royalty and feuds. The Shiara have got internal stuff going on. The Kree have got its stuff going on. The Skrulls have been practically wiped out. So the only people that he can put together are these ragtag, you know, resistance fighters, and. They don't really. They are a team, but they've got no idea what to call themselves for 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 kind of ages, or, or not ages, but they've no idea what they're doing, what to call themselves. They're they're stuck on nowhere, which is a weird place. And after their first mission, this is when they first kind of crystallize as a team. After their first mission, they find a mass of what's called, and wait for this one, oh, will, no. limbo ice, oh. limbo ice. So it's kind of like suspended animation, but it's also they had to get the word ice in there. Yeah. Floating around in space. There's a reason for it, though. They take the limbo ice on board the ship and discover a figure trapped inside the ice. And the figure, who's been in suspended animation, is Major Vance Astro. Vance Astro? From the original, from the original Guardians of the Galaxy team. Ah, uh, there we go. And he claims to be from the future, and he claims to be part of a team called the Guardians of the Galaxy, which is when Rocket Raccoon goes, hey, that's what we should call ourselves. That's a good name. Let's have that name. (laughs) And this is where Abner and Lanning then start to tie the modern team into the original team, which is also the future team. It's good. It's, It's some good chisel. But yeah, Rocket steals the name from a man from the future, stuck in ice. That's... That's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, almost. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, so back on Xander. Oh, sorry. Even more, even more so because it's then revealed that the the Guardians team in the future take their name from this Guardians team in the past. So it's a big loop. It's just one big timey wimey circle. Did you just do a Doctor Whoism there? That's right. I did. Yeah, yeah. I only know that stuff about the new <laughs> Doctor Who's. They use the word phrase "timey wimey." So, back on Xander. Xander, Quill sends a message to Nova Prime. Yeah, Xander's Zander's Buffy's friend. I know. Xander is a planet. <laughs> I, I, I got it wrong. I got it wrong. <coughs> Come at me, bro. <laughs> Quill sends a message to Nova Prime. Roman Day, warning of Ronan's attack. Allying with Nova Corp's fleet, Quill's group and the Ravagers arrive at Xander, confronting the Dark Aster, while Rocket's assist the Nova Corps fleet, the rest of Quill's team breach the Dark Aster and move towards Ronan. Gamora battles Nebula, while Quill, Drax and Groot battle and kill Korath and the Sakarian warriors. Defeating Nebula, Gamora tries to convince her sister to abandon Ronan and join her in freedom. Deeming Gamora's new choice as insane, Nebula refuses her sister's offer and flees from the battle in a hijacked Ravager ship. As the battle proceeds, allies begin to fall as Ronan's fleet starts falling from the sky onto the city, killing many in the process. Ro- sorry, Rocket and the other Ravengers focus their fire on destroying the ships before they hit the ground. So, 
I like this. I like the Nova Corps tactic of netting the Dark Aster. I thought that was brilliant. I like. I like. They all joined the ships up. It was netting. It was great. It reminds me of a kind of like the, the tow cable from uh, the Empire Strikes Back. It reminded me of that same kind of because I don't know if they do that as 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 a proper thing. Like that, there's a use like other than that exact situation there. Like where they have to connect loads of ships together in a big net. Because <laughs> this, this is like, ah, oh, finally the yeah, budget. Yeah, when would it come up? Yeah, when would that ever? Okay, I can only imagine like like a very rare occasion, like oh maybe a comet comes and they go, don't worry, we can do that. But even then, there's a better way of doing it. It just made me think that this was built for something else, and they go, hey, we're going to improvise and do it another way because there's no way this thing has actually been purpose built for a situation like this. It reminded me. Have you seen the the very first? Episode of the of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Uh, I've never seen Star Trek: The Next Generation. I, I was working my way through the original series. <clears throat> they, in the first episode of, of Next Gen Encounter at Farpoint, mm. they are launching themselves into the kind of like new areas of space where they encounter this giant net ah. and they're trapped in it. It looks kind of a bit similar. They, they can't push through it and they can't get out from it and. Then someone turns up and says, "We don't want you to go any further." But yeah, it it it, it vibed of that to me. But yeah, so it's a interplanetary cattle grid. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, that's actually what it is. I think this might be the best time to talk it's, about. It's a sorry. It's a cool. It's a really great. Um, it's a great scene. All the stuff of the planet, like being torn up and, and blown up. Yeah. Like we talked about how some of the great fight scenes we get in this series. But some of these disaster space scenes like this really made you feel that it, the, the threat of danger was ever present. Mm. Um, especially because a lot of the people we've seen along the way uh, pop their clogs here. Serenevich dies and some of the other ravagers get killed. You know, characters we've, we've met and not necessarily bonded, built a huge bonds to, but when they die yeah. on screen, you go, oh, flipping yeah. heck. And then you see the disaster raining down on the innocent people, like families below and stuff. It was, it's, a, it's, a decent, it's a decent scene, man. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 you gen- there's genuinely uh, peril. There's genuine peril here. It's not like, hey, look at the explosions. Genuine peril. Yeah, genuine peril. It's like, no, no we've yeah. got to save these people. So I think it's now is the best time to talk about Thanos' daughter. Let's talk about Gamora. Ah, Gamora. Um, no accents for this one. She she's the um, last of her kind um, in the comic wow. books. She's she's a little different, not vastly different, but she's a little different in the comic books. Um, her people were all wiped out by. Uh, a space church called the Universal Church of Truth. Yeah. Um, a religion dedicated to an insane cosmic figure called the Magus. Ah, who that's, yeah, I've heard is that. the future, the future version of the cosmic hero Adam Warlock. Mm. So Thanos and Warlock are bitter, bitter enemies, and Thanos knows that one day Warlock will become the Magus and become an even more dangerous enemy down the line. So he he finds Gamora and takes her in because he he she already has all this hatred towards um, the Magus and the Church, and so he raises her to use that hatred and become an assassin, like from day one, the perfect weapon. He trains her. He has her cybernetically altered and genetically altered, so she's stronger and faster. 
and he works hard to harden her heart and sends her off around the galaxy assassinating people and Gamora develops this reputation as the deadliest woman in the galaxy that's what she is called mm. um and she ends up working alongside Adam Warlock which is difficult for her because he one day becomes the figure that the people who killed her whole family killed them for um but mm. Adam Warlock does not want to become the magus so she they, they kind of get teamed up and uh they're dedicated to keeping the infinity gems safe and and they they join to battle Thanos she kind of turns against Thanos and realizes that he's a great threat as well and and um, she gets involved in the Infinity Gauntlet kind of debacle. And she gets involved with Adam Warlock for a little bit. And, and then, like a lot of these characters, after the Infinity Gauntlet thing ends in the in the early 90s, she doesn't do anything for over a decade. And she they bring her back during the during the Annihilation War. And she can't they, they work hard to re-establish that reputation of the the deadliest woman in the galaxy, like the best assassin around. And she does that. On well, sort of behind the lines, on the front line, behind the lines for the resistance, for the, the United Front that yeah. that Quill and Nova put together, and and uh, yeah, she, so she gets absorbed by the Phalanx, who are like this Borg. <laughs> Nova <clears throat> Nova saves her <clears throat> from the Phalanx, but when she comes out, Gamora, who's always been this like fierce, I don't know, independent loner, not not wanting to join anything, she she's She's really um she's forever changed by being part of this collective hive mind. Mm. And she can't get over it and what she desperately needs is company and to be part of a team, to be part of something bigger than herself, which leads into her joining the Guardians of the Galaxy, mm. which is something she never would have done before. She was off being a mercenary and an assassin again, but like leaving a hive mind like just wrecked her brain a bit. And she was like, I, I can't I can't just be on my own anymore. I need to be, you know, part of something bigger. I need to I need to serve people and have people serve. I need to be you know, be a part of something. Which I thought was a really interesting take on the character. Yeah. That's I mean that that, that does sound like an interesting take. I mean, uh, in in here we just see her as badass lady and we get to see a bit more of her background later, but it It it, it brings up to me <sighs> The general depowering of all these characters for this movie. Yeah. I, Gamora. Yeah. Comic book Gamora would not have. Would like. It it, 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 it it grated on me to see Gamora, a, a very strong, powerful character from the comic books, walking in that prison, scared and needing protection from the yeah. lads. I didn't like that. I, I'm not saying it was a. You know, I understand what they're doing with the movie, but. It bugged me. It bugged me again that Drax isn't like, is just is you know he's just a brawler. There's a systematic kind of depowering of of some of these characters to make them. I don't understand that. I don't understand why that we can't have a superpowered Gamora and a superpowered Drax, and why wouldn't that work mm. in the context of this team? This team who are out there, you know, meant to be like the kind of like Space Avengers. They're all different heroes, aren't they? So why, why are they not quite? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I I get it. I think it's more of a case of uh, I was going to wait to finish. I was going to say my bit. I was going to say um, I think that um, they just do that, like we've discussed before. They're just fitting into the uh, archetypes of Hollywood, Hollywood films, aren't they? 
And also, I think they're just doing that so they can say, hey, this is the starting point. We can build them up later. Do you think that? Do you think I suppose that? so. Yeah. yeah. I, I, don't, I don't really know. I, I think it, it smacks of... I think it probably smacks of them uh, fearing doing a bit too much. Like it's mm. perhaps they feel it's already a lot to ask that we're we're in space and there's aliens and there's a tree yeah. and a talking rodent. Perhaps to throw kind of super powered people in as well. Um, I don't. Yeah, it, it, it's it, possible. It'll be it, t- just at this point, it'd be too much to take on. I think if it was done after, say, Captain Marvel around that point, we would have gone. Ah, we're fine. We're fine. We're taking this on board. It's fine because we're already at that point. That's true. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, mm. yeah, I found it a little great. I mean, it, I love the film. It didn't ruin it for me. It, there was just a couple of times where I, I just kind of go, ah, that's that feels, that doesn't that feels like they're only <laughs> using the name of that person rather than the spirit of the character. Not but you know, she's still, she's still kind of badass, and she she hates her, she hates Thanos. So, not as bad yeah. as Iron Man three. What they did with some of the minor characters. <laughs> oh man, man, yeah. Utterly bizarre, that. Yeah. Utterly bizarre. So, Ronan is a worthy foe. Ronan uses his new power to destroy the Nova Corps fleet and easily overmatches Quill's team. Before he can kill them, Rocket flies his ship into the Darkaster and into Ronan, seemingly killing him. The extensive damage causes the Darkaster to crash downwards towards Xandar, with a fiery death imminent for everyone. Groot grows himself into a thick tree-like ball surrounding the team. Rocket begs him not to do this, as it was, will certainly kill him. But Groot simply replies by saying, We are Groot. Now, I've seen this film quite a few times, and it never, fa- never fails to tear me up when he says, We are Groot. Never fails. It's a such it's, it's like a, oh, no, <laughs> moment. It's a sad. It, it got me again on the rewatch. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I reckon I, probably every time for me as well. There's something about it, man, isn't there? It's really, yeah. it's really kind of powerful. It's, a lot of it is, is I think Rocket begging him. I think. Yeah, because because it's like it's it's like oh that character's breaking down about it. Uh, yeah. Fuck yeah, man. yeah. Because he's the he's the gruff. I don't care about anyone kind of character, isn't he? And now he cares about someone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, it's becoming a common thing in Marvel. It's not a Marvel film until a large ship crashes into the ground slowly. This happens in almost every Marvel film now. Let's have the list then. Let's have the list. Wait, what the list of Marvel films? Yeah, well, I'll, 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 bring, yeah. I'll bring up the list of Marvel films right now. MCU films. No, not list of Marvel films. List of Marvel films where it happens. Okay. so it, it's not in any of the. It's Avengers. Okay, does it happen in Iron Man? There's no spaceships in Iron Man. Iron Man too. Any of the Iron no, Man films. No, 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 Iron Man. No. Thor, none of Thor. There's no spaceships in, in Thor. There's no spaceships the Aven- in the, the Avengers. Hulk. The Avengers. So it's the Avengers. Yeah. I will go with Captain America: The Winter Soldier. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. It was a theory. Oh no, yeah, Winter Soldier. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the the helicarrier crashes completely, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. It just felt like this started happening a lot more in the, the Marvel films. Like we've got to have something crashing slowly yeah. into the ground. Yeah. Do you remember that first? The first time I saw, I, I really remember. It, like, this has been a, a weird Star Trek reference again. Yeah, here we go. The Star, the Star Trek um, Next Generation movie, one with Kirk and Stuart uh, 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 Picard in. I didn't see that. one. I've seen the first six films, but not that one. That one's good, man. It's fun. Hmm. Uh, but the 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 saucer section of the Enterprise crashes into a planet, 
and I'm sure if I watch it now, the effects would be terrible. But yeah. it like it goes in slow motion, and it kind of hits, and you see all the all the like the the ground, the turf, the grass, the trees, and everything kind of getting ripped up as it kind of through the through sure, the thing. Yeah. And yeah, I like spaceships crashing slowly. I th- I, th- I think it's been it's it's done a lot lately. I think when special effects have got better, it's like yeah, let's do that. Destruction's great. Do that. Yeah, I think especially some of the DC stuff. The the the, the was it. Oh, Man of Steel, which has about eight spaceships crashing. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it got confusing the end of that film. Anyway, I think it's time that we get involved with easily my mum's favourite character, the Big Tree Man Groot. What can you tell us about Groot? There's there's, there's some jokes I'm going to leave on the table there. Oh, just it's, no. it's a dangerous world to bring your mum into a podcast with the comedian. It's just a dangerous thing to bring up. <laughs> so what what would you want to know about? Sorry. Uh, what, what, what can you tell us about Groot? Let's get us talk oh, about Groot. Groot. Well, Groot predates anyone else in this movie as a character. He predates the Marvel Age of Comics. What? Uh, Groot was created before the Fantastic Four, but back before Marvel were, were, were knocking all those superheroes out. Uh, in in 1960, Marvel was still making. Monster comics, where you know it, it's kind of like any any of the old classic black and white alien, you know them or yeah, uh, not yeah. quite invasion of the body snatchers, but but those those ones where an alien or a monster attacks a small town in America or a city, and some brave scientists and soldiers have to stop it. That's that was part of Marvel's bread and butter in the fifties, along with Stanley's romance comics, um, and Tales to Astonish in nineteen sixty featured an alien tree-like monster called Groot trying to <laughs> capture humans to experiment on them. And one of the things he says in the comic, in fact, maybe even the only thing he says in the comic, is, I am Groot. Um, right, okay. Uh, 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 Groot, uh, from, from the Dutch word meaning large, because he could grow in size, he could grow his branches and his roots at will and kind of become bigger and... And then you know he, he, but those aren't those are not designed back then before the Marvel age began. They're not creating ongoing characters and stories. They're doing like a one and done. Mm. Tells to astonish sci-fi story. It's a tree monster, and Jeff, Bill, and 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 Penny have to stop it. And then twenty-two pages later, it's done. And then the next issue, it's something else. It's an alien alien toaster. I don't know. <laughs> but they're not. They're not these. These things aren't created to last because they haven't created this cohesive universe yet. So it Groot's just there and then he's gone. And it was always a bit of a fun because he was a fun one because he was a tree. And that's kind of innovative. Like there's a there's a famous DC Strange Adventures where the Earth is attacked by alien snowmen with laser vision. You know, it's kind of a silly yeah, it's a yeah. fun it's a fun idea rather than just a tentacle monster. The tree monster was also kind of fun. He he he, he has another appearance. Uh, in, in the 70s in a Hulk annual where the Hulk is fighting six of Marvel's classic 1950s monsters and Groot shows up in that but that's it it is it, it, nothing else for Groot up until the Annihilation Conquest series where Keith Giffen and his mad idea to have Rocket Raccoon kind of living in a tree and the tree is Groot mm. um, and, and, that, and that comes up and, and they give the green light and yeah, Groot, Groot becomes part of the uh, the forces resisting the Phalanx invasion, and and then 
joins, you know, Quill's team along with along with Rocket. He, he's um, his species is called Flora Colossus <laughs> from Planet from Planet X, Planet the X. capital of the Branch Worlds, um, and he's actually part of a royal sap line. Mm. The ruling trees of, of Planet X, which means he's royalty. And this royal position allows Groot to be the Guardian's representative on the Galactic Council, which is very useful when they need to cut through a lot of red tape. They were being shut out of a lot of things and denigrated, and they couldn't really get people to listen to them. And then Groot somehow reveals, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm royalty. And I've never, never even told you that before, but yeah. Um, Ma- 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 Maximus of the Inhumans and Jean Grey have both asserted that Groot is not just repeating his name when he speaks. He is communicating a vast array of different concepts. He's he's um he's shown to be techni- technical and scientific kind of genius, uh, but but most humanoid ears can't can't hear what he's saying. Um, and uh, fun thing about. Groot, it's revealed that he does not know what the Guardians of the Galaxy are. Mm. He believes the team is really called Groot and the Branches. <laughs> oh, what? Groot that's and his, the, uh, the other that's branches? What he, that, that's what he thinks the team name is, yeah. He doesn't know what Guardians of the Galaxy is, what you're talking about. That's, Groot and the Branches. Yeah, Groot, Groot and the Branches yeah. does sound like a 60s combo. 60s beat combo. It does, it does sound like a band, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's Groot. Groot is uh, not so cute. If you look into his history, he's actually an evil genius. So, at the crash site, Quill's team survives the crash, but their relief is short-lived when Ronan, unscathed by the crash, emerges from the wreck and prepares to destroy Xandar. Quill suddenly starts dancing and challenges Ronan to a dance-off. <laughs> I never thought I'd say that sentence in a... In a, in a Marvel. <laughs> he challenges him to a dancing competition. Uh, Quill's insat... Insanity distracts Ro- It's so good, it's right? So, Isn't it good, so good? It, it is a quite quite a nice thing. He goes, Go, join me. It's perfect. Take it back. <laughs> it's 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 this perfect there's nothing there's absolutely nothing he can do. Yeah. And it is ludicrous. And it's so thoroughly believable that this powerful powerful demigod creature would just stare in like embarrassment and like like and uh, Amazement at what's happening. It, it, yeah. it, it's all—it's yeah. a really great little bit of writing and performing. I loved it. I loved it. It, it was just Chris Pratt being Chris Pratt. It, I, I, that's how he is. He's just a playful man, a playful man child. Do you think? Yeah, I think so. I th- he always I comes know, across I, like that. I, 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 I think he's a bit right wing. But oh yeah, yeah. Let's, oh yeah. Let's, let's yeah. Try I mean, and forget that. Oh, sorry, I meant Chris Pratt when he's in films. Out outside, he's a bit like I do. Oh, right. I do hunting. Oh no, I liked you. <laughs> yeah. 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 Anyway, back to the story. Uh, Quill's insanity distracts Ronan long enough for Drax to destroy the Kree's hammer with a huge weapon. The Infinity Stone flies on the hammer. Quill grabs the stone, but its power begins to burn and destroy him until he joins hands with Gamora, Drax, and Rocket, who share its burden. The four of them direct. I love that as well. That that was that was up there with like the Groot sacrifice bit as well. Oh, yeah. In terms of, there's an emotional impact there. It was it, it it was like because he sees his mother and everything, and it was like oh god, this is a bit much. Yeah, the four of them direct the stone and just power. friends sacrificing for each other. Yeah, it, it, and also I like the fact that this is possibly scientifically valid, like holding a voltage or something. <laughs> sure, sure, well, well sure, look, it's scientifically look, look, valid. 
We've had no. Barely, no, the, the, we've had no Simpsons. Barely references to video games. Very, I'm doing the true. I'm going to give you this. I, I'm doing that now, even fair enough. though it's tenuous. Fair and enough. Idiotic. Strap, strapping for thirty minutes of engineering, guys. Oh no, I, I was just saying. I, I thought that was quite good because it's like, yeah, maybe you could do that just hold people together and the power would dissipate between i don't know anyway the four then direct the stone's power towards ronan utterly destroying him so this is we said about the dance he gets the, the biting point right between funny and annoying in the dance off that's what they love but i think now is the best time to talk about star lord himself do you yeah well the movie's about to end so yeah <laughs> probably should <laughs> um he, he's a really odd character I, and or You'll, you'll, what's the recurring theme of this they're mm. created in the 70s and they're really odd and then no one touches them for 30 years and then they come back for, for annihilation and Star-Lord's exactly the same um, created by Steve Angelhart in, in 1976 in the in the less mainstream black and white Marvel previews comic which, which is where Blade was first uh, uh, had his first appearance where Rocket yeah. Raccoon had his first appearance it's black and white it's not overly mainstream and, and they can get away with a little bit more in terms of ideas and stuff and do weirder things and yeah. create characters that they want to kind of introduce without without them being superhero superheroes yeah yeah. Angel, Angel Heart had a, a newfound interest in astrology and space <laughs> and he wanted to create a character that starts off as an awful jerk mm. and then has this incredible cosmic experience that opens up his mind in different stages and grows his consciousness and his perception. Mm. I mean, it's it's LSD, Will. It's LSD. <laughs> Star-Lord is meant to be an LSD journey. There's no getting around it. Yeah. He's an allegory for this belief that mind-altering ju- drugs can can evolve you and turn you into like a higher being mm. and Angel Heart seems to be quite into that so Peter Quill is an, is an orphan he's an absolute jerk um, it's it's hinted that his dad might be not isn't, isn't his real dad and his mom is killed by aliens mm. and he, he, he's part of this NASA team that encounters a cosmic being and this is the worst bit of it who is like, one of you humans will come with me now to become a cosmic-powered individual, the Star-Lord, um, which is a weird thing for uh, someone to do. Well, it's based on nothing. And it's like, who amongst you is worthy? And uh, Peter Quill screws over everyone else in the NASA team and then is like, it's going to be me! <laughs> <laughs> and the the alien, like, I don't know, the alien sorcerer or whatever he is, is like, uh, yeah, well, fair enough. I think I think this is probably a good idea. Even though I know you screwed everyone over, uh, we can work with this. And so he gives them these powers. I kind of forget what they are. And he goes on this big adventure, and he falls in love, and he fights in a war, and he becomes a better person. And it's, <laughs> it's swashbuckling, and it's romantic, and it's weird. Um, but you can forget about that, because it doesn't count. They they When he returns in Annihilation in 2000 five six mm. they 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 we, we talk a lot more about this in the bonus episode they create <clears throat> this framework of like his past as star lord is deeply embarrassing to him and every character he encounters is like 
Hey, aren't you that weird guy that called himself Star Lord and went around like <laughs> being a romantic swashbuckler? And he's like, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about it. Call me Peter, please. Please don't call me Star Lord. Please don't call me Star Lord. I'm Pete. Can we Pete? Right? And he falls into this, to this huge galactic issue because he's thrown in prison with lots of cosmic beings, and and then the annihilation wave hits, and he's part of it. And he's very different to how he's portrayed in this very different uh as we said peter isn't silly but but he's also he he has developed through these weird adventures that he's had this immense sense of of doing whatever it takes to kind of get the job done and to do the thing that saves the most people he peter quill is about in, in that military in that military way peter quill is about the hard choice (laughs) <laughs> he's the he's the he, and that's his defining kind of feature. He he doesn't have superpowers, but it, what makes him a leader is that he is there to make the hard choice. Yeah. And it might be sacrificing his best friend, and it might be sacrificing himself, but it, 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 he does what needs to be done. And he's pessimistic, which is why he put the team together in the first place because he doesn't believe the universe can hold itself together. And he's sarcastic, but he's the He's the only one doing this, and that's the the galling thing about it all. And it and it drag it drags him down. No one listens to him, right? There's his own team, who who do because they were there with him in the trenches. But we get out the other side of these two massive wars, and all the people that can make the tough that can make the decisions to save the galaxy, are got their heads in their clouds, and they don't know what it was like being a grunt in these wars, and they don't know really who Peter Quill is. So when he goes round to all these major players saying, guys, we had two back-to-back wars. It nearly destroyed everything. We need to put something together. I'm putting a team together. Everyone is just like, who the hell are you? <laughs> so that's the guard. The Guardians is Peter Quill. Do it yourself. I've got to do something. Whoever's here, mm. you're now going to save the galaxy because there's literally no one else. You, the, the, talking, the talking raccoon and the tree guy, I guess this is it. Um, yeah, he's a he's a really he's a under under the auspices of Abner and Lanning. He's a really really great character. He's a very human character. He's a very fallible character. He's not a great person, but he's a great character. Yeah. And he, he's uh he really makes that run of the Guardians of the Guardians series, which I highly recommend. I mean, he's, he sounds he's, he's not necessarily anti here. Just sort of like. Uh... He's between areas of grey. He has to make the difficult decisions and all that. Yeah, he's yeah. he's not exactly as I I I almost um, pull back on saying he does whatever it takes because that always seems to indicate Punisher, and and that's not <laughs> Quill. He's not he's not like you know he's not just going around murdering people, but yeah. but you know he does have that, and and he's not exactly he's not a, a disciplined. You know, when you say military, you imagine a disciplined, a disciplined person. But he's a resistance fighter, which is a different kind of breed. You know, he's a guerrilla, guerrilla fighter, which is you know they're, they're, they're kind of they're almost like pirates. They're, they are very much rebels, mm. um, but they they have a burning, they have a cause. Peter Quill has a cause. His cause is to save the galaxy, and he will he will do almost whatever it takes and he will throw his lot in with whoever and he will recruit and, and he will make you passionate about his cause and he will get the job done um, and he has a great arc in the Guardians series that Abner and Lanning write and he they 
they close it off right at the very end, and it's kind of frustrating that Marvel go, oh, the movie made millions. <laughs> the story's not over. Everyone's got to come back. You know all that closure you all had from a perfect story? Forget it. Everything's back. Status quo. Reinstate it. Oh, that is annoying. That is utterly annoying. So, we now, we're now in the end game. The gang now has the stone. Gamora immediately places the stone in a new orb and Quill gives it to Yondu as part of their deal, although Quill warns that he should not open it since Yondu had seen what it was capable of doing. Yondu and the Ravengers then leave Xandar, commenting that they made a wise choice in not delivering Quill to his father like that had been hired to do all those years ago. Once they have left... Quill reveals that he had switched the containers. Yondu opens the orb to find one of Quill's troll dolls. In the aftermath, Quill's group, now calling themselves the Guardians of the Galaxy after a mockery by Ronan, are praised by Nova Prime, Irani Ryle, who expunges their criminal histories. So we're now at the end of the film. She also reveals to Quill, based on medical reports that they have deciphered, that he is only half-human and his father belongs to an ancient alien race that they have not yet encountered. The Guardians then leave Xandar in their ship, which was repaired by the Nova Corps, and venture out into the galaxy in search of adventure, accompanied by a recovered twig from Groot, which is already beginning to regrow. Meanwhile, the Collector sits in his destroyed archive, where he is licked by Cosmo and mocked by one of his collections, Howard the Duck. Will we see? More, will we see more of Howard the Duck? Is there been demand for him? I, I don't. Mm, I don't. I don't. I don't think there's a demand enough for him to be a uh, a movie. No, he there's a screenshot of all the heroes in Endgame, and he's there. Ye is he? Yeah, there's a, you can. There's a screen. There's a, there's a. You have to zoom in on the armies of the heroes, but he he apparently crops up. Um, I, I can see him making appearances in 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 some of the TV properties or being a, a wacky side character in, in 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 a movie here or there. Perhaps when Doctor Strange does his I don't know multiple dimension movie or something. Um, yeah, but I, I don't I don't think he's going to be. Hey, you know what? Uh, I never would have. No one would have ever predicted when they created Rocket Raccoon in 1976 and did that cocaine story in the 80s, yeah. that he'd be like the best-selling toy at Christmas time the year this movie came out. So who knows, man? He may well. I've just seen a picture from Endgame where Howard the Duck appears in the battle, and that's really, really good. That is some good fan... Yeah. That is some weird fan service right there, but I like it. I like it. Wow. So, uh... Yeah, you know what? That 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 makes me... That kind of stuff, It it kind of actually... I, I forgot to say this at the time when we talked about the collector's museum. It kind of bugs me that they didn't. They could have layered that scene with fan service. Yeah, they know we're going to pause it and look around, and they had a bunch of different stuff in there, right? Yeah, they had. Okay, the, to me, the Chitari aren't particularly exciting because we've already seen them. Yeah. The Dark Elf isn't very exciting. I've already seen it. And then there's a but. Okay, you can have those two, and then there's a bunch of other stuff. Like you said, there's a one-eyed alien. There's a, a, a thing in ice, maybe, and then there's a guy with tent. There's a tent, not not. There's a guy. It's just a tentacle thing. They could have they could have laid in loads of little cosmic things here and there, and that would have been that would have been real fun fan service to to have stopped it and gone. That's so and so, and that. Oh, did you see that? But who knows? Yeah, yeah. Uh but anyway, we're on to the final final question. 
Sorry, I just mislaid my notes. Now, this is the important one, guys. This is the important question. Can Groot regrow? <laughs> oh, like he does there. Yeah, like he does there. Can he regrow? Yeah. Yep. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he can. And what's what's interesting, and we see this in the next one, hmm. is that according to the this isn't like doesn't come up in the story, but according to the producers, that's not Groot. That's like Groot's child or son or something. Uh, that's a different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's that's called Groot. Yeah, because it's like a group. But it's a different like group collective. Whereas in the comic books, that's not the case. Mm. Groot, Groot's consciousness is in like every splinter of of his tree body. So he he went and and he has numerous times done things that absolutely destroy him. Mm. But he just regrows from a little a little splinter, a little sap, and it's the same Groot that's always been. His mind is preserved in it, um, and it takes him a while to grow everything back again. But he doesn't do this thing where. You know, he becomes a, uh, a a teenager like you get in the in the <laughs> yeah. the, the 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 other movies. Uh, but yeah, no, he he very much does regrow from virtually nothing. Great. So that's the movie. What a, what a movie. What I yeah, it really is. It's a it's a great it's a great example of the Marvel universe expanding. Will, what are your thoughts on, on that then? And how did you feel when you first saw it? I I first I didn't see it in the cinema. I waited till it was on Netflix because I just did, I I wasn't really in the zone to see it. And then I watched it and I was just taken aback, taken aback by how much I was loving it. I think I think it was the first Marvel film which I felt was oh they they, they can be dorky and funny in a way. They can be that 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 fla- yeah. that flavor of funny uh, while still being action packed and emotional. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it, I, I think I think this was. Uh, I, I know you're going to probably disagree. I think this was a massive turning point in the MCU. I, it, it just in what in what respects? In terms of the writing, in terms of dialogue in future films, because you saw it with Thor Ragnarok, didn't you? For Ragnarok, they're like, let's make this more like Guardians. Then you saw like, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say uh, Suicide Squad, but they were more influenced by Deadpool, I think, <laughs> to make it more funny and irreverent. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I feel that you're right. Um, I, I think that Marvel needs to have kind of almost the two. I think you see some of this writing in the Spider-Man movies as well, um, which are very, very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, funnier than uh, not quite as you know that that they have a bit more of a an, they kind of a funnier Iron Man tone yeah, to it. They're yeah. not quite as but the, there's an awful lot of comedy in, in the Spider-Man films. I think you need a nice balance of this kind of humour and then perhaps the very tense action stuff that the Russos did with um, Winter Soldier and that you get with Age of Ultron and you get with the, the other ones as well. A nice balancing act needs to be struck. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree. That's yeah. how perfect Marvel films done for me. You've got to have that. I think, I think, I think the uh, Endgame and Infinity Wars pretty much... Got that balance mostly right. There was there was yeah. absolute horror and trauma in those films, but there were also, there were also some funny moments. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so after delving through this bizarre, <laughs> twisted timeline of these characters from the seventies, 
Oh, well, from the 60s on through, really, with, with Gruten and all that. What uh, what has been your favourite piece, then, Will, of Marvel trivia from this episode? Favourite piece of Marvel trivia? I mean, it's, it's, it's just ins- an insane amount of stuff going on here. I, I don't know if I like the original Guardians of the Galaxy look because it's like they look so bland. <laughs> especially the guy. Oh, yeah, it's terrible. Especially it's really- that Jupiter guy. That Jupiter guy. Yeah. Um, I kind, I kind of, I, I think what I like is the uh, the reoccurring loop of how the Guardians got their name. The reoccurring loop. I love yeah. those. I love those in games. I love those in film. If it's done right, I, I like that. I like that. Yeah, it's 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 it is odd. <laughs> they inspired each other to inspire each other, um, which is fun. Which is real fun. Um, we, we we was an awful lot to cover in this. So I hope you understand when we said we could not have included. All that stuff about... I know we mentioned Annihilation a dozen times. It's so important to every character. It's the kicking off point for all of this. We just, we just, It's impossible for us to have covered it all in this. But please make sure you head over to patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel um, and, and you can actually listen to our first full-length bonus episode where I explain the Annihilation Wars to Will and talk about how these cosmic characters were retooled, rebooted, and reinvigorated in the Marvel Universe. And you can also check out some of our wonderful blogs from previous episodes and some of our mini-episodes as well that are up there. Um, don't forget, you can get in touch and drop us a line, Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com. We're on Twitter. You can keep up to date with everything that we're doing and saying and the other podcasts that we listen to. Follow us on Twitter at Marvel versus. And it's just that. I know it's clipped, but we can't fit our whole show title onto Twitter because they, they keep it to a <laughs> limited number of characters. Yeah. So it's just at Marvel Versus mm-hmm. and then cuts off right then. Are you excited for the next episode, Will? It is the Patreon pick again. And Peter J. Burns has selected something that I think you're... Well, you've told me off camera that you're desperate to see. Oh, Peter very. J. Burns... One of our beloved patrons, one of the, I think, you know what, he was, I, I, he's the first person to go up to that elite level, that premier tier, to get hold of that bonus, bonus level content. Peter J. Burns has selected for the next episode, Spider-Man 2. Are you excited about that, brother? Extremely. I can't wait to watch this. I, I am so in the mood ever since we did the first one. Yeah, it is for my money. It is still my favourite, and I believe the best Marvel movie. Well, it's the best. I think it's the best superhero movie ever made. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to covering that on the next episode um, of Marvel versus Marvel. Thanks for listening to Marvel versus Marvel. Don't forget to subscribe, give us a rating, and hey, why not recommend us to a friend who loves Marvel movies and comic books? Don't forget you can watch along with the next episode, which will be Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2.